You're listening to Decay Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast Online source for news Interviews and trending topics Good morning, good evening, good afternoon My name is Ken Artuz Your host for DK Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast This is Season 9 Episode 6 And this particular episode is very special We're going to be covering music And we have three exclusive interviews On our exclusive interview segment First, Ronan Harris from VNV Nation Our second exclusive interview, Nostalgia And our third interview was a pre-recorded interview that we had conducted a few months back on another podcast that I was starting to explore and really delve into the world of industrial EBM darkwave electro music. And I am republishing that interview here, and I am referring to the interview I did with Ayatoya, recording artist Ayatoya. And in this episode, as I had mentioned, this is a music episode. So we're going to scratch the horror entertainment name for a bit. And with upcoming podcasts for DK Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast, we're going to be also covering various music elements within the genres of electronic, darkwave, electro, and Slash or music compositions as we have in the past within the horror and thriller genres, film genres, because music is an important as just as much as an important factor for film production as, let's say, lighting or cinematography. So stay tuned for those upcoming topics in future episodes and we are going to also be securing more interviews with musicians either for film composers as we have in the past or musicians within industrial dark wave EBM so on and so forth Witch House if you haven't heard of Witch House that's another area that is fast fast growing before I delve into the interviews a quick recap on the landscape of electro music and I'm going to be delving on topics that include the majority of the reports hot of the press hot topics are album releases followed by a recent signing to Metropolis Records so without further ado let's begin DK Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast Season 9, Episode 6. And remember, you could find this podcast on all major platforms Google Music, Apple Podcast, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, Podbean. Frontline Assembly Album Release. Wake Up Coma is the next album from electro-industrial music pioneers Frontline Assembly. 
As of this moment, pre-orders are being taken for the CD digital vinyl formats. All you have to do is go to Bandcamp and or Metropolis Records, either or, to secure a pre-order. Wake Up Coma will release on the 8th of February 2019. This album features 12 tracks, some of which include collaborations with veterans in the electro-industrial music field. For example, the first track on the album, Frontline Assembly, features collaboration with Robert Girl. The name of the track is Eye on You. The eighth track, Frontline Assembly teams with Nick Holmes on Wake Up the Coma. And the final track, the twelfth track in this album, Frontline Assembly, features Chris Connolly. And the name of that track is Spitting Wind. Wake Up Coma features remixes by Terence Fixmer and Orfix with guest vocals, as I had mentioned, Chris Connell and Nick Holmes and Jimmy Urine. The album's opening track, I Knew, released back in November and it really showcased Frontline Assembly's collaboration with fellow musicians and this is a fantastic album. I for one I do love and appreciate the evolution of Frontline Assembly across so many years. It's been 20 plus years and they are still churning out new material. On a sadder note this release comes at a bittersweet moment. Uh, the album marks the first album, actually, since the passing of longtime Frontline Assembly member Jeremy Inkwell, who passed away earlier this year back in January. Once again, Wake Up the Coma arriving on Metropolis Records, secure your copy, or you could hop on to Bandcamp. 12 tracks, can't wait to hear this, um, eagerly anticipating. And for those of you who have yet not heard Eye on You, the album's opening track, do so. It just gives you a little taste test while you wait for 2018 to end. And uh, well, we have to wait a couple of extra weeks, but. It's right around the corner. Shiva 6 album release. Another electro-industrial artist busy at work in the studio is Siva 6. And they are working on their next album release, their fifth album to be specific. This release reunites Dimitri Duras with the editing and production phase of the album. Here is a quote from vocalist Z from Siva 6. States as follows, quote, It's always hard and painful for me to go through this procedure. I make albums because I have reasons to do so. And this is the first album that was written 
outside Athens in Lepsbid, which was the ideal ghost town for me to concentrate on the concept, a projection of my latest experiences and adventures is what it's all about, unquote. If you haven't heard of the sound that Siva 6 really offers, I definitely suggest taking a listen to the album Nyx. Uh, there are so many good choices on that album. Uh, take, for example, we have Forever, remixed by A7IE, uh, Apocalypses, remixed by Antibody. Uh, the, the whole album for Nyx, it's a remix album, and each track on that album conveys its own sonic tonality and lyrical poesy that you have to sit and really analyze these soundscapes and I'm looking forward to this fifth release for Siva 6 and based on the comment that Z offers I can see that there's going to be a lot found emotional context and content within this next fifth album so far there is no release date i foresee perhaps in the fourth quarter perhaps the third quarter for the 2019 calendar year uh, if all goes well uh, we all know the constraints and the tribulations of composing in the studio but that's all part of the artistic process so i highly suggest the listeners out there to really absorb this is a lot of work to jump into uh, it's not just playing the synthesizers ladies and gentlemen there's a lot of thought process and emotion behind each song you you hear on an album culture culture album release the level of diversity in the electro-industrial music genre is fantastic. You have artists from every region of the world expressing one common, not to pigeonhole the genre, but one common thread, and that is bridging the, or merging actually, the marriage of machine and man, machine being the instruments and man being, of course, the emotional context. Which brings us to our next topic. Culture, culture. It's been a while we haven't heard anything new for them, but wait no more. They are going to release their fifth album. It is titled Humanity. This album drops on the 21st of January via Caustic Records. And of course, Pre-orders are being taken right now at the label's web store. Here's another fantastic news for Culture Culture. They are branching over to corporate video. And what I mean by that, they have released their first, yes, their first music video and it is based off the single of the album titled Refugees. You can catch it on YouTube. We'll be providing the link in our podcast notes. And so far, it's it looks amazing. It looks like a science fiction 
post-apocalyptic cornucopia of visuals. So, once again, humanity is the next release from culture culture. And there are, for those who are unaware, they are best based from Spain. Yes. Amazing. In any event, <clears throat> this has, I think, their last album released in 2010, if memory serves me correct. Wow, eight years. That is a long hiatus. And it is expected. Uh, some artists prefer to wait longer th- and have a few gaps. Others prefer to churn out album behind album. But nevertheless, I am looking forward to hearing this next album, Culture. And uh, yeah, I, I really can't wait those couple of weeks for January next year. And do check out their first video, Refugees. Amazing stuff. It's great to see how musicians are now branching out and utilizing the different aspects and platforms available to them in this case YouTube but let's see what holds in store for other social media platforms let's say I don't know Instagram stories we'd love to see behind the scenes and from culture culture and how this album came together Dice People Somebody to Love Single Release I consider myself to be a music aficionado, especially when it comes to the realm of electronic music. And it really excites me when I make a new discovery, a new band or a new recording artist. I have recently discovered this band called Dice people, and they consist of Matt Brock Zimora and Rafael Filomero as visual artists. And the soundscapes that best describe Dice people, their music style ranges from EBM, electro, dark wave, synth wave, uh, so on and so forth. I do check dice people out in fact they have a new music video from their reboot remake uh, their own stylistic interpretation of jefferson airplanes somebody to love that single dropped on the 7th of december and now there is a music video accompaniment for that track and you could catch that single it's featured on Def Synth Halloween Masquerade compilation that this compilation album features covers from bands that they are selecting songs outside of their normal approaches and that is is that increases creativity uh, once you start to pigeonhole yourself, whether you are a, a remixer or if you are strictly witch house, if you are unsure on how to take a different genre and 
put your own interpretation of it, yeah, it's time to really get the creative juices flowing. In any event, Jefferson's airplane cover, Somebody to Love, the video is out. And of course, accompanying that single is also a single titled Borderline Wish, which comes off of the first album from the Dice People titled Time to Play. And both those singles are available on the digital store and, of course, streaming services, Bandcamp for Dice People. Uh, as I had mentioned, I when I first discovered Dice People, wow, amazing. I do love the vocals, well, everything about the soundscape, of course, but it is something about female vocals that is I could play it all day here in the office and I am not so much familiar with Jefferson Airplane but Somebody to Love yeah that is a common song and this interpretation of the song it is if I were to describe it it has a profound witch house feel and of course, Witch House is, is, is a fairly new music genre that incorporates a lot of experimentation synthesizers, at, at times uh, repurposing content, um, in many cases playing it in reverse, adding some vintage synth sounds to it. It's, it's, it's an experience. If you haven't heard it, do search for it. It's all over YouTube and SoundCloud. But when I heard Dice People's interpretation of Somebody to Love, yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. Leo Mondo album release. Well, in this topic, it ties in music and, of course, horror themes and cinema. Bui Mundo released their album on digital format and on cassette, but uh, apparently listeners out there have cassette players. So the cassette format for this new album from Bui Mundo titled Bloom is down to 800 copies. Fascinating. I would thought that the analog players would be out the window especially with everything being digital these days. But before I digress, here is some information on Bloom, the new album from Buimundo. Bloom is an adaptation mod for GZ Doom, which combines two of the most influential horror video games to date, and that is the video game titled Blood, and the video game titled Doom. The album is has 12 tracks and they are the complete soundtracks of the first unreleased episode from The Way of the Doomed Flesh performed by Buimundo and Hall of Eternity, a cover of the themes of Blood Unholy Voices by Daniel Bernstein. Interesting perspective from 
Boy Mundo. And some of the tracks here are truly haunting. The English translation, thank you, Google Translate. Uh, here are some of the songs on this 12 track album Nightmare in the Form of a Cube, Parallel Dimensions, Temple of Cabal, and Final Thanks. If you enjoy horror video games as much as I do, especially nostalgic video games, and really want to capture that sound, uh, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, music plays a, such an important role when it comes to horror. And what better way to embrace that than with something that Boy Mundo has put together that complements two of the most influential video games to date? If for those ha- do, that do play survival horror games such as The Evil Within or in my case Dead Space, there are YouTube and on SoundCloud the soundtracks to these albums is quite fascinating. You don't need to play the game to really feel that ambiance of terror and the lurking dangers in the shadows. Once again. Buimundo's Bloom is available on Bandcamp and as I stated they have a cassette version of it which surprises me still when I say it it is down to 800 copies Metropolis signs she passed away as I had mentioned before as a music enthusiast especially in the electronic genre I'm content when I discovered something new. Another artist that I had discovered a few months ago is She Passed Away. And it just happened by chance. I was listening to YouTube and I had it on random. I had a song playing and you know when you have a track playing YouTube just throws it into random and the She Passed Away a song was playing from them. I was like, wow, fascinating vocals. I have no idea what the lead singer is saying because it's in Turkish, but it definitely captures it with the, the guitars and the the whole sound and, of course, the vocals. Just invokes that nostalgic era of goth music. And, of course, goth music is still around, but... It's just when you hear something modern and it takes you to that nostalgic era on the dance floor, in my case, in Ward 6 here in New York City, that that definitely feels refreshing. Which brings us to the topic before I digress. She passed away. They recently got signed by Metropolis Records. That's great could only mean that we're going to see more content from She Passed Away. And for those who haven't heard of them before, you're surely going to be in for a treat because Metropolis Records are going to reissue two of She Passed Away's releases. The first is the 2012 release This Night. Of course, that's translated from Turkish. I'm going to attempt the translation, 
Belladri Grisi and the 2015 album Delic Solitude. Once again, here's my attempt at translating Narin Yazilik. Fascinating. These upcoming releases would be provided in digital, of course, and CD. And of course, they're going to have Metropolis is going to offer a limited additional vinyl with pre orders for everything available via Bandcamp and of course via Metropolis Records web store. For those who are curious to hear She Passed Away, all you have to do is hop on to YouTube and watch their latest music video titled Pale. You would find it under the original title, So Look. And this is the first track on the Narin Yalzinik album. It was directed by Demetrius Chazli, and it also features another personal favorite uh, band that I always have in rotation here at the office Drab Majesty. So check that video out and also hop over to Metropolis Records and Band to secure your pre releases. I, I tell you, the vocals are definitely uh, are what going to set and capture your attention it's very deep and I could only describe it as nostalgic to that era the bygone era of goth music Segment 2 Exclusive interviews. Ronan Harris v. NV Nation. Kicking off our exclusive interview segment, segment two, is a conversational interview with founding member of VNV Nation, Mr. Ronan Harris. And VNV Nation released their 10th studio album this year titled Noir and following the release of Noir is a US and European tour in which The Rain Within and Holy Graham are joining VNV Nation on this tour Dublin born Ronan Harris He describes Noir, the 10th album for VNV Nation, as follows quote, Dark and intense energy that does not hold back. Unquote. For those who have been following the work of VNV Nation over the past 20 plus years, such as myself, you have seen and embraced the emotional context, the lyrical poesy, and the soundscapes that VNV Nation is known for. Talk about evolution. I have not yet seen a band evolve over the years that does not give in to the latest trends or trending sounds 
VNV Nation provides a distinct sound and each song has a message that can be translated into our current technological, social, political landscape, whether it be your a conspiracy on, let's say, for example, transhumanism or technology or, of course, the threat of war. Of course, these are personal interpretations. Everybody has their own when listening to each sound. Norit, fantastic album. It is available right now through Metropolis Records. And in this conversational interview between myself and Mr. Ronan Harris, we delve into his interpretations and, of course, noir, as well as today's social landscape when it comes with technology, utilizing technology and the advancements of technology, for example, virtual reality and social networking forms. This is a very profound and in-depth conversational interview. Do listen to Mr. Ronan Harris' perspectives on these different topics. I am content to present and I'm always fascinated and do embrace the knowledge. Uh, we often see artists on stage or filmmakers behind the camera, but it's great to embrace the artistic side, the, the the knowledge that these performers and filmmakers and musicians are can provide from to us, the audience, the listener, on a one-on-one basis. Without further ado, here is my conversational interview with Mr. Ronan Harris founding member of VNV Nation. I have three segments that I'll be providing questions for. Uh, we'll begin with music and your 10th album, Noir. Uh, the last we spoke, we delved onto the topic of music videos and it not being a requirement, an option really. Shift two years later and we find a collaboration with Mono Inc., and the video for When is the Future. Please share your thoughts on providing video content in this stage of your career. Well, I've I've never felt that it was an option. I felt that it wasn't necessary because um, I've tried to uh, have videos made for years, and I'm just not a fan of having a video. I want the video to relate to the song. I want it to either express the song or expand on it. And uh, I had really bad luck with video companies for years uh, coming back with suggestions that were, well, either boring or laughable. And uh, I just gave up on the idea. So when I was working on Noir, I approached 10 video companies about making a video for the song When Is The Future. And I connected with this couple who do really great videos. I saw their material. I thought, I think these people will get it. And I played them the song and they had within five minutes, the idea that we're going to go to Tokyo to film the video for this song. Um, I was really happy because, fun, I mean, video is obviously very important. Everything is video-oriented today. Um, visual, like uh, when it comes to social media, the video content 
and photographic contents are king. I mean, uh, people don't have even the time to read more than 160 characters in most posts, mm -hmm. even whether it's Facebook or whatever. So um, I was very happy that we finally had the opportunity to do something. And uh, I will be working with them more on uh, further videos because I think that they really, we have a good connection and we have a lot of great ideas about what we can do with songs. Um, I've played them the whole album. They sat there and thought, okay, we have some ideas for this, 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 and this. And I have my own. And I think we can really realize things. But it's important for me just to find the right partner. That's something I've always been looking for, and I just could not find. Um, I'm picky because I think, you know, in talking with a lot of bands, I think they a lot of their videos are at, they're just our video. Or they had a lot of control over it. And they were able to create something that really related to their song. So I think other people have just been very lucky. But I think most of the videos I see for band songs are a video. They're not, uh, they don't do anything. Um, and I look forward to, to more content as, as it comes out. Uh, this next question is uh, entrepreneurial, especially for entertainment. And content creators, whether it's an artist, musician, or filmmaker, there needs to be a focus on being both the entrepreneur and in the creative arts. But most become disillusioned with making money fast instead of building legacy. In your opinion, given your accomplishments, what defines building legacy? Uh, not focusing on money as a goal. Um, I think we've reached an era where a lot of people are focused on getting rich fast. Um, or they hear the success stories with advertising contents and revenue from things like YouTube and what have you. Um, um, I have focused on making a product that I felt proud of. Um, I have focused on, I think, if you're making a product, you have to focus on your product. You have to focus on the quality of it, the connection with your audience, um, and everything that is a consequence of that success will be financial, which is great because it finances tours and it keeps financing things. You have to have some kind of a business plan. Even if you're not business-minded, you can make choices which are make sense, but you have to have some kind of a business plan and some business sense. If you, Most artists today, uh, newer artists, are running their own business. They're starting themselves off and creating um, their own audience and their own fan base online. Uh, it's outside of the major label model. I run my own label. I manage everything within the band. I run the social media. I create the merchandise. I have control over all these things. Now, that may seem very, very daunting for a lot of artists um, to because they don't have the experience with it, but I've seen the most successful bands doing their own business by having somebody, a friend, who is able to handle just the running of their operations, even if it's part-time. And it, because it, this energy takes away from your creative output. I think it's important for artists to at least be involved, but to be realistic and not to complain about, um, you know, that they're not getting money or they're not getting enough money or they're not getting rich fast. Money is not a goal in and of itself. It's a consequence. And it will be a consequence of, of success. Success is if you want to build legacy, the thing that will stand for you in 10 years is the quality of your product and the connection you've made with people. If you don't have that, you won't have any legacy. Absolutely. And uh, I personally, 
take that advice 100% because even for content creators such as myself, creating articles and podcasts, that's one area that you have to provide focus on creating your own brand, your own label and recognition. Absolutely. And the thing is, you also have to accept there is a caveat of that. You have to accept that maybe I'm not going to make money out of this. If your heart is in what you do, if you're doing something for passion and because you genuinely love it, um, it comes through. It, you know, there's somebody who says to you, um, as a, as a silly example, someone who says, hi, how are you? Simple statement. Mm -hmm. And they, they can say it in a number of different ways. They can say it like they genuinely mean it, or it's just an automatic sentence they say. Um, you can tell the difference. When someone is passionate, it affects their content. It affects how they express it. It affects um, how they come across, the cadence, the intensity, the, the emotion in what they do. If I was doing a podcast about a hobby or a subject that I particularly love, and I was so fascinated and interested by it. This is what people want to hear. They don't want to hear some boring guy talking about something mm -hmm. or some person talking about something that they, it sounds like they don't care about it, mm -hmm. uh, that they're just reading from a script. Um, this is the difference. You are sharing a human emotion. I am really, I love the fact that podcasts have become so big because to be honest, a podcast is like a radio show. Mm -hmm. It is the idea that people, and, and they're more popular in many ways than than TV because um, people can listen to them in their cars, listen to them in their bed before they go to sleep. All our all our crew, every single person has about twenty podcasts that they subscribe to. You will always find a great audience. You will, if you're passionate about it, if you if you talk about interesting things and you give insight into what you're doing into what you're covering, people will gravitate towards it. Word will go around that this is interesting. Um, it's no different with any content. If you show work, like you put effort into it, um, it will become successful. And that, again, comes back to the word, well, what is your definition of success? Is your definition of success money? Or is your definition of success to reach people and share the contents of what you're talking about. Um, if you're in music or video or computer graphics or it doesn't matter if you're doing podcasts, if you're doing magazine articles, if you're curating images or curating content of any type, interesting articles, um, the more interesting, the more effort you put into it because you just let your heart open and, and explore and you keep that part of you that's still a child, that's still feels a sense of wonder and you share your experience and you share your knowledge that you're not patronizing that you're still reachable and, and fascinating and interesting then people will always want to hear will always want to watch will always want to listen um if you're not doing that and it sounds forced or it sounds pretentious yeah you're don't wonder why you you're not successful there's the other side to it is not everybody is built for doing this. Mm -hmm. um, there are some people I know on YouTube who the content I absolutely love, but their voice <laughs> doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, they can't, like one person speaks uh, on a video, there's a, a series of videos I love watching, but he's reading it because he's insecure, mm -hmm. and okay. you know that, And but he reads it without any grammar. So no full stops, no pauses, nothing. It's just one long sentence. Mm -hmm. And he's reading from a sheet 
in order to be able to do it. I, I, I met the guy, okay. uh, but he's reading it so that he can do it without being embarrassed. And he mispronounces words all the time because he's just reading it and shutting off his fears. Mm. And I think practicing, it's not going to work on the first go. Keep building, keep working at it, keep trying. Um, and uh, you will get it. But, you, you know, everybody, like if I'm a singer, I have to work on my singing. I don't have to do professional lessons, but I have to work on it. I have to record it, listen back to it, and think about how to make it better. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing that with spoken word, if I'm doing a, a interviews or if I'm doing uh, a podcast, I have to work on my delivery because that's what people are connecting with. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it, it, it's the way I would describe it is that if you're listen, if your your speaking voice isn't going to reach people because it's either boring or annoying because of the way you deliver the words or something like that, then that's like writing a newspaper article in comic songs font. <laughs> Nobody wants to read it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. You, you, you choose a font that looks good. You choose graphics that look good. Well, then do the same thing with your voice. Right. And the, I think the caveat of that is that in, a, in the modern age, because we text so much, we don't speak on the phone anymore. Mm. And a lot of people don't talk to one another, but this is, I think that's why a lot of people suffer. They don't have enough practice of speaking publicly, even if they're sitting in a room. Record it privately. Listen to yourself. Listen to how you deliver. Do you like it? Because if you like it, that's the first person who has to like it. If you don't like your voice, then you're going to have problems. Right. Anyway. That's, that's so true. Uh, thank you for those uh, inspiring mentorship right there. Thank you for that. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> on the music uh, your 10th studio album Noir uh, brings a new perspective to the soundscapes of V&V Nation in particular Nocturne number no. 7 my personal favorite uh, delivering classical influence on electronic heavy album on the surface what will audiences slash listeners gather from this latest release um, I've heard I, I gave some direction before mm-hmm. the album came out. I said, please listen to it from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved classical music and it has been a very major influence in a lot of what I've done. Even if it's, you know, modern music is a lot of repetition. I take phrases and I, I, I try to add something symphonic or something more formal and creative as uh, like colors on a palace, on a, on a painting, you know, just adding in touches and flavors to give it a dimension that I love. Mm-hmm. The funny thing was that when Nocturne number no. seven was written, I said, well, if I've got an album called Noir, I know that this track is going to be a little bit strange for a lot of people, but I, I believe that a nocturne must be on this album. Mm-hmm. I mean, the album is inspired in different way, different interpretations of the, the concept of night, whether mm-hmm. it's metaphorical or real. Um, and a nocturne is, for me, a very important part of my personality that I love classical and formal music. I think when I talk about that, a lot of people get the impression that V&V must be, if they've never heard us before, that it must be very classical or the oriented. And it's, it's not, but there are a lot of elements incorporated into music. I wrote that while writing the album. And I wrote it in one go. I was just musing on the piano and I played that piece out for about 15 minutes. And I was 
when you're creating music and that happens, you don't let that chance go. No. You don't try to recreate it a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that piece is a replica. It's a, it's a microcosm of the whole album because it tells a story on its own. It's uh, going through different passages of memory. It's the kind of two o'clock in the morning drinking a, bo- a bottle of, uh, not a bottle, drinking a glass of scotch, <laughs> uh, looking through photographs that right. you're, you're remembering maybe in a very sentimental way. Right. Um, the wonderful moments of, of your past and, or, or a particular time in your life or something like that. And um, I felt that I was writing a soundtrack for that. And uh, the thing is that the whole album is like that. In a, if you step back, the whole album is like that. It's like a, a journey um, that, that's telling a story. So when I told people to listen from beginning to end, that it will take you, it'll start off sinister and that it takes them through what they think is familiar territory. And most people listen to bands like they're listening for a sound or a style, mm-hmm. but they're not, they're missing what's behind that, mm-hmm. which is maybe something intellectual is being said. And you're using the pieces to represent various elements of that. And I said, this, this album is going to take you up, down, left and right, backwards, forwards. It's going to surprise you. It'll take left turns that you did not expect. And that's exactly what happened with the Nocturne. Now, some people won't get that. There are other pieces on the album that have the same effect. Some people won't get it. Some people are very uneducated in music. And I got some very angry comments like, what the fuck is this track? What? What the, oh what is, this is the most <laughs> stupid thing I've ever heard. Oh, yeah, no, seriously. There are some people like that. And my only response to it is not to be upset about it, but it's to say, my dear, this music was not made for you. Right. It really wasn't. So don't worry about whether you like it or not it's not made for you. So, you know, if you don't like it, just skip. Uh, a lot of people get angry about silly things that are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you don't like something, just, just skip. That's it. You don't have to, nobody's forcing you to listen to it. But I was amazed at how many people felt that it fit amazingly into the album because I always explain every track, your feelings about that track, I'm trying very hard to make you feel that, uh, to set up a mood based on the previous track. So mm-hmm. how you feel about the previous track is, is the, the mood you'll be in when the next track starts. So um, it leads into Collide, which is one of my favorite tracks on the album that I think is a piece of symphonic heaven. For me, making that track was just something spectacular. So I felt it was very, very important that um, the Nocturne take you into another act of the album. And every part it's it's almost like you're listening to the soundtrack to a film that's never been written or listening or re this is the soundtrack to a book never been written um uh, somebody described it as art inspiring art because each uh or listening through the album they said they, they were trying to imagine what kind of film this is for mm-hmm, or what mm-hmm. kind of book this is for what is the story right and uh, the artist has to add context the noir was a concept that people used in the late 1800s, particularly in France, as writers, composers, and painters were, there is, as a creative person, if you're doing, if you're doing creative content, you can do it first thing in the morning. When you work late at night, a different creativity comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very different energy. And night music is a very, there's a sort of a, it's a it's a psychological thing. It's an abstract thing. It's just an idea in your head, but it, there's something seductive about it, and it can take you to places that are un 
distracted, not distracted by anything else that's going on around the world. Like knowing in your head that everyone's awake, everyone's working, and the sun is up, and da 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 da, da affects you in one way. Mm-hmm. When you feel that the whole world is asleep and everything's quiet and silent, and there's just the distant noise of traffic, and it's it's the dead of night, and you're working, you come up with, you you reach a different part of your psyche, and um, I felt that trying to explain to people that this was the word that creatives were using at that time for that nighttime creativity, that nighttime psychology, that taking yourself on a journey of through the self that maybe you don't want to go on because it can open you up to parts of yourself you might not want to face. Mm -hmm. But it's something you have to go through because it's like a journey through the underworld where you're being shown um, dioramas of of, of uh, sides of your psyche, and that's very much what the album represents for me. It's a journey through a voyage of very intense and sometimes uncomfortable and sometimes very rewarding self discovery. A current landscape in society. Uh, the last we spoke, we delved on the issues of AI, but another pressing topic is social media and its deterioration of human social interaction. What are your perceptions within the years to come with these platforms? Well, I am the type who steps... uh, The idea that we talk about deterioration is relativistic because um, human interaction, human communication has evolved in many ways over millennia. And I'm the sort of person who steps back and asks, well, even just in the 20th century alone, we went from music halls to cinema and then the music industry kicked off and um, theaters were losing out to cinema and then television came along and changed how we interacted and how we talked. Technology has always played a very significant role in how we communicate. I do believe that our individuality, our which is our strength in many ways, it's the coming together as a team of individuals that, that somehow locks together is the key to our diversity, uh, diverse thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what promotes our progress. Mm-hmm. I think that social media is a blessing in one way, but when it is purely there for commercial gain, when the intent behind the technology was purely to give you a product to sell to you, to keep you addicted to it, mm-hmm. that there are psychologists who work at these companies who think about ways to keep people wanting more, how their brain reacts to likes, how their brain reacts to seeing an image that inspires them that they want to copy. Um, we've become a, a terrible culture of copycats, like people who want to, um, whether it's taking someone else's content and removing their logo and posting it as your own, mm. uh, because there's no ownership anymore, no you're, you're posting it as though you created it or whether it comes to purely copying someone else's style and replicating it because you wanted to do it too, because you see someone else doing something creative and you think, well, if I do that, I'm creative too. And it doesn't work like that. Um, we've created shallowness. Mm-hmm. Um, the true creatives find it harder and harder to find recognition as, uh, to have their work gain recognition because it's being so diluted by people who either copy it or just regard it as another throwaway three-second experience. Um, Oh, cool picture. Wonderful. You know, in the past, we would look at paintings. We would look at creative work and we would 
be in awe of it because it was a reflection of our soul, not the person who created it. That person just learned how to tap into it. But we look at a painting, say, if it's Salvador Dali or Rembrandt or what you can, I mean, I'm a big fan of French Impressionism, but I get lost in these paintings. And yet the way art is presented today, I feel it's so throwaway because it's part of a, an experience that wants you to click the next one, click the next one, keep clicking, keep clicking. Right. We want you to be like the hamster on the wheel. So one aspect that I'm very happy about is how this affected later generations. Um, meaning people from about 20 and under, I would say the, the maximum level 25, who in general don't use social media like the older generation. Mm -hmm. They don't use the, the, like they don't care for Facebook, which to be honest was just a nice thing for office people to connect with each other and share silly pictures of birthdays and things <laughs> like that. And, but it became so popular because the general masses were using it that everyone else had to use it. Mm -hmm. There was no alternative. And it has become, as we now know, we now know the, the sinister side of it was they were just selling our data. They were harvesting us. We were the products. I mean, mm -hmm. that was obvious to all of us from the beginning, except for the masses who sit back and think, really? Why? Why would they do that? I'm like, well, it was free. What the hell did you think it was free for? Do you mm -hmm. know how much money it costs to create this system? And you think it's free? It's not, it's not the post office. It's not a public system. Mm -hmm. um, they were, uh, I think it's a, we're, we're, we have modified ourselves, but we've gone through a great experiment in how we interact and how we, we work. The big challenge now for social media people creating the products is how do I engage a younger generation that views social media as unnecessary, right. that they're using Snapchat and other ways of communicating where they just share a, a, an emotion, like almost using a photo like we use a word to mm. express how we're feeling um, that use, it's almost like iconographics have replaced a lot of how we communicate, that we communicate with much more complex forms through pictures, through sounds, through, hey, here's a song I like. Well, that says a lot about how I'm feeling right now. Here's a, a picture I like. Here's a clip out of a movie. Um, memes, these have become almost like hieroglyphics. Yes. For us. They, they express, this has become like the jokes we tell each other. Everyone's mm -hmm. always told jokes to each other. So memes have replaced that. Uh, they become a, a completely new and actually very, very complex way of expressing our emotions. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, like it's uh, the way I described it was um, to somebody was I could do a silly drawing back in, say, the 90s, or I could tell someone a simple joke. And now I can do it in 16.9 million colors and 24 bit. Um, <laughs> and the creativity of it and the, the humor and the genius and the originality is has driven people to compete. So in many ways, while social media has actually stopped us communicating in an old-fashioned sense, it's created a whole new way of communicating for a generation beneath us, like, you know, that's coming after us, mm -hmm. that is not traumatized by the internet as we were. We were the first generation to get it in our homes and see people just screaming at each other and hating and, and or sharing information. Um, I started using the internet in 1990 as a dial-up system and it was just the old 
monochrome green screen with like six options on it. You know, you had one was electronic mail and then two was Usenet or chat groups and things like that. And there was IRC and there was just this simple right. basic list of functions available on the internet. And already in Usenet, people were just screaming and ranting and raging because they couldn't cope with it because this was a, a shock right. to their system. And I think a lot of our hatreds and a lot of our poisons, the baby boomers dealing mm-hmm. with the internet, nobody else. It's there that, that poison that I see on the internet of people just trolling is just their anti-socialists and it's response to the trauma that this exposure to the internet has given them. People can't handle it. Um, it's funny. The internet was always seen as a great aid for anti-social or people with social disorders, people with uh, social anxieties. Uh-huh. They could sit behind a computer and anonymously communicate with the world. Everyone said, isn't this wonderful? And I said, well, yeah, that's wonderful, but that's going to be about maybe 0.01% of the people who will love sitting behind a computer where yeah. nobody knows them because the rest are going to use it to just spread, just to have fun, stupid, right. juvenile fun of just hating and trolling and bullying and what have you, which right. is exactly what happened. Exactly. The generation that's come after, they use social media for personal experience, for sharing it with small groups, but they love personal interaction. Um, these are traits I don't think that anybody in that age group likes to be generalized with, but whereas they are, they have other problems to face, which are much bigger than ours. Um, you know, they will have huge amounts of debt and no ability to buy anything. Mm. Um, and then they also have to face the fact that they really do genuinely care about the future. They genuinely care about where this world is going. They think in a longer term. Um, they they are much more conservative. They're financially conservative because they have to be. They're um, expressively conservative, like in their clothing and what have you. They don't like to stand out. They even the use of Snapchat in just sharing simple little silly ideas with a group of friends and being. I mean, it's a generalization, but I've seen it and, and heard it even from sociologists so many times that this is a a wonderful evolution that they have rejected this very poisonous bucket of you know just shouting at each other right. um that goes on in the rest of the internet because people post something i don't read the comments i don't want to read the comments because i learn nothing from them mm-hmm. i learn from the original post i have I, I don't do not read comments on youtube videos i don't read comments on anything i think i figured that out really fast mm-hmm. that most people will just be idiots online and don't know how to behave Right. There used to be a thing at the beginning of the internet, like a public internet, which was netiquette. And you learned how to behave. You did not write in all caps. You right. had to obey, you know, a certain, it was a kind of a, a, a mutually agreed system of how to speak to one another. Right. And very few people broke that. But uh, most people just behaved very civilly and it just got completely out of control. So I think the fact that we, in 20 years, Let's be honest, 20 years has went since most people got it at mm. home and it was farmed out. Um, we have gone from talking to each other, calling each other, to having the sum total of knowledge of the world at our fingertips on a device that we put in our pocket and we communicate in a completely new way. Mm-hmm. It's revolutionary. It's always happened. Whether it's good or bad remains to be seen, but I see hope that there is. Um, 
that, that somehow we'll get over the trauma that it's caused and it will it will promote something good. But one way or another, we've changed our slang. We've changed our way of communicating the words, the value or the meaning behind words. We've always done it. All the internet has done is, 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 um, is uh, expedited that process. Right, yeah. And from my personal perspective, the social media platforms is, is, is a form of subliminal transhumanism. We have become so dependent mm. to communicate on these platforms and in a digital way that just dilutes emotion and it touches on those topics that you had mentioned with comments on YouTube and humans, so on and so forth. Humans have changed. Humans mm-hmm. have always changed over millennia. We've changed dramatically um, based upon the systems we were living in. We lived through the dark ages and very religiously conservative ages and in different parts of the world. Um, we communicated differently based upon what the environment was. We adapted to it, but we always adapt. Mm-hmm. But then times came afterwards where the situation changed and people started to talk differently and freer. For us, looking back, we can see the parts where we say, oh, that was great, or that was wonderful, or that era was a little bit more open-minded. But no era, no decade was without massive social problems. Mm-hmm. Um, there may have been light there. But look, at the benefit for you is you have podcasts. You have the control over your expression and your media. Um, on one side, you have people doing podcasts about murder mysteries, like for for example, mm-hmm. investigating real cases and getting people uh, all over the world to get involved in investigating cases, like a kind of a, a group think. But it's there is huge amounts of intelligence being uh, thrown uh, thrown at it. And people who want to participate who think that's something I want to be involved in right. are really exercising their deductive skills. Mm-hmm. On the other side, you have people who watch someone play a video game for four hours. <laughs> and the thing is, when people say to me, like, are we becoming more stupid? I say, well, actually, no. Just how we express our intelligence and our stupidity has changed. That's it. But I don't think anybody was under any illusions in the 80s that if we're making technology, if we're making computers, they're getting smaller. Mm -hmm. One day, they're going to be integrated with us. Yes. Uh, Either there will be a huge Luddite movement where we will will rebel against technology for all the ills that it's brought us. Mm -hmm. It's brought brought some incredible good. Um, You ask anybody in an education field how the internet who's been around for say 50 years how much the internet has changed how they do things they will tell you it's revolutionary it's changed everything it has made research uh, you on an academic level it's made research um uh, so much more polydimensional we have become vastly international with our research with the knowledge that we share and learning about uh, the work we can collaborate in real time um the masses will always just use it for silly stuff. So they, they always have. Um, there will always be those people who will use technology for very intelligent things, and the masses will always use it for frivolous entertainment. Um, really, uh, we, we don't, maybe we, from our point of view, looking forward, we see where it could go and how bad it could be. I don't think there's ever any era where people thought any differently. I think in the 80s, <laughs> an era of creativity 
that I'm really fascinated with as in the, the American and the British and the, 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 the well every European country except for Germany side. Um, the Czechs and the French were really forward thinking, but they were worried about how the new creativity was going to affect people and how it would change people. Mm. Every decade worried about, well, we're here now. We want it to stay like this. Right. But what we're where we are right now is we're looking forward. Uh, we don't want it to change. But in 100 years, they will look back and it will all have been normal, just like the previous 100 years to us will have been normal. Where it goes is where it goes. You have to accept that. But I see hope in that trends indicate to me that, yes, we some will in integrate technology with themselves. Some people will augment themselves with either there will be some device that will enhance brain activity uh, or muscular activity. Or, and somebody will sell it to you with the idea that, oh, this person's in a wheelchair. If we do this, we'll be able, those people will be able to walk again. Right. They will not be the majority users. The majority users will be people who want to feel that they're better than someone else, mm -hmm. which is, I think, the most, the strongest motivation in my mind for human activity, within humans, the strongest motivator in any social activity is the need for people to feel better than someone else. While we're on the topic, I might as well just jump into this question. Uh, uh, VR is a developing field and something I personally see transforming into, let's say, the holodeck on Star Trek for music and content, specifically, let's say, a virtual reality music concert. What are your thoughts on this platform uh, and perhaps integrating it into your content I will, I will tell you that I, I was talking with people in major labels about four years ago and I said, um, here's your billion dollar idea. Um, set up the highest quality VR cameras at different points in a venue. It mm -hmm. could be a stick with the VR camera on top of it um, and basically allow people to select their point in the audience and be at the show, physically right. experience the show as if they were in the audience. Um, you want to take it one step further, um, hire people to go to the show. You know, you want to offer an experience where everybody can go and visit, like watch some megastar play. Hire people who will be standing around each camera. Make sure that you've got your own placed people around them so that it ensures that there's people cheering, people screaming, and you have this, artificial version of a real experience of going to a concert. You feel, wow, this is incredible. I can really do this. I think um, uh, it's absolutely, it, it, it's, 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 it's without a doubt the next step for a lot of people that, they, that VR will, will take over from real experiences. I want to do, an ex I, I looked into this many times. How would I do this? How would I give people a VR experience of, that they could stand on a stage, that they could stand there at the side and watch what happens as they flick around to being at different points of the audience. Um, I think we all knew this in the 80s, that this was what was going to happen, that mm -hmm. we would somehow tap into our sensory, uh, our sensory, sorry, our sensory uh, centers mm -hmm. to be able to transmit the experience, whether it be the feeling, the inertia, the, the, uh, the, the complete input uh, of the experience of crowd surfing or jumping over a waterfall. Right. Or, I mean, we do this with uh, the brain can play great tricks on us if we, we have a VR helmet on and we're going on a roller coaster. <laughs> yes. um, 
I think that technology will be probably more integrated uh, into our lives than anything else. I think the, the next generation of phones could possibly be contact lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, there's so many ways we can do this, but I want to do a show next year. Speaking of my own personal experience, if I may, um, I've been invited to play at a planetarium and, Ooh. uh, it's not a very big auditorium, but it's a wonderful planetarium. They do a beautiful star show and they asked if, uh, they could create a special show for this of say maybe an hour and a half of music. And I would perform with, and I want to do this with, all my keyboards, all my synthesizers and what have you. Um, I thought that would be a splendid experience. But in the hall, they have a very, very high-tech 360-degree camera. Mm-hmm. And I said, wonderful. You mean we can do this as a VR experience? And they said, mm-hmm. yes. And I said, all right, let's do this. So the interesting thing is, and it always comes down to what we were talking about with success. Yes. If you're going to do a concert like that, you have to also think about the monetary value because... Um, there will be pioneers who will start to sell their concerts on YouTube, on a red channel or whatever else, say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you can go to the concert, but you have to buy it from home. Like we all did, you know, people do this with sports events. They do pay-per-view right. sports events. Well, what's wrong with doing pay-per-view concerts? Um, it will save on a lot of logistics. It will save on uh, touring. It will save on a lot of things. And I honestly think it could possibly replace air travel. It okay. could possibly cut down how we, we actually visit places from our home and we go on vacation from home without ever having to visit somewhere. I mean, we're just into speculation and conjecture. and Futurism is a, is a, a guessing game. Right. Um, but I don't see why that's not possible. I think the entertainment industry is waiting to see that VR penetrates the market a lot more. And it's not just in the hands of geeks before mm-hmm. it, they can really farm it out because they're not looking for the people with the, the you know the, the Oculus Rift or something like that. They're looking for the absolute masses driving their car, using it as a completely immersive experience every day of their lives because the minute they give them VR, the masses, and they can sit in their car, the car's automated, they will zone out of the world and the world will never be good enough. Absolutely. Nothing in this world will ever be good enough and people will spend there will be way too many people spending all of their time. Um, I saw, I mean, I've been watching VR grow since, you know, the 80s. I was fascinated by it and always hoping that this would provide incredible content and entertainment for people. But to be honest, I know that it's going to get used for frivolous, stupid things. But Mm. then again, I'll be able to take a holiday in the Seychelles. I'll be able to... uh, you know, could jump over a waterfall. I'll be, uh, I'll be able to hang glide. I'll be able to parachute jump. Right. Um, I'll be able to just sit on a beach. I'll be able to come home from work and do that for two hours and totally chill out. And my brain will think that I'm there and right. it will uh, adapt and accommodate the, the idea that I am there every night after work and it will make boring work much more um, palpable, but it will be a great way to keep workers um, are distracted, sated. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to become a, a narcotic uh, of, of, a, of on an incredible level. I think that's really what VR could potentially do because it's always about how much money you can make out of the technology, not about how pragmatic or how benevolent it is. Um, fans, I think, really could get in on this game, but it, I have looked into the technology. It takes a lot of investment. 
and a lot of high-tech work, and that's really the, the, the realm of the major labels, is that they have that money, they have the access to technology. And I've thought about this, doing concerts where we can put on the best show possible and we could give away free tickets so we can guarantee that there's a massive audience. Then. Right. If we need to repay that, sell tickets for it online. But, I mean, how many people have VR helmets? Right. It's it ha the market penetration just isn't there for it to be justified. Um, they're trying it, but VR has always taken off and then fallen, and then taken off and then fallen. So um, I think a lot of people just don't like the idea of wearing a giant, you know, not, not a helmet, but okay. <laughs> excuse me, sure. wearing hefty goggles and earpieces um, in order to experience something. You right. really have to. All the TVs have to be VR and there won't be TVs anymore. You have to have a VR device at home, and everybody has to have one in their home before this becomes financially viable. Right, right. As a matter of fact, uh, I had the experience, the Art of VR exhibition here in New York City in Sotheby's, and I was blown away by the technology. It's still in, in, in its infancy, but I do adhere to all the points that you have made. It's, 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 it's something that's really is going to change the landscape for media content. Oh, my God, yes. Absolutely. To be able to visit the Louvre, to be able to visit yes. the Guggenheim, right. um, and stand there and stare at a painting and feel I am there, I'm in this room, because it's not like I'm just looking through a, a letterbox image that I can turn around. I'm actually immersively there, peripheral vision included. I will be able to, I, I think for many people it will be enhanced to the mm -hmm. point that it's better than the real experience. I mean, we Photoshop everything, so imagine enhancing your experience of visiting some gallery or wherever. Walk around a forest. Uh, it's, 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 I think that is the revolution that will change humanity far more than anything. I mean, to be able to communicate with people that you'd be able to have conversations, like, okay, imagine just simple, something as simple as phoning, right. that the person is physically there in front of you. Now, if that's your contact lenses, um, if that's a pair of glasses uh, or something like even a sensor on the side of the head, and I've seen tech that does this where it can feed in content to the brain, mm -hmm. um, that again was in its infancy. But imagine you know, 20 years down the road and somebody perfects the idea of, well, with a small little adapter, you can feed video signals to the brain. You actually think you can have an illusory content. I mean, why not? That's even better than VR. <laughs> yes. To be able to sit there and put on like a pair of glasses sitting on the couch and you're phoning with someone and they're sitting in front of you. You're just basically, it's VR will just be a means to an end between um, transmitting physical images into your, all around you. But your entire apartment can change, as you say, like a holodeck. Um, we don't necessarily need to live in large spaces anymore. We won't mm -hmm. need to live in large apartments. We won't need all this concept because of, uh, all of our experience can be all around us. It can be whatever we want. We can decorate as we wish. If we want our apartment to look like we're on the beach, it'll look like we're standing on a veranda on the beach. Um, the, the potential is endless, mm -hmm. but it is still, unfortunately, it's infancy and the eyewear, to be honest, I compare it to cell phones in the late 80s. Yes. It's too unwieldy. It's chunky mm -hmm. because, and let's be honest, 
this technology is still in its infancy and it really hasn't evolved past a large, hefty piece of eyewear. Exactly. It's an amazing experience, but 3D fails. And I think VR will fail if we don't invest in research to come up with new forms of technology which can feed the image either onto the eye. Um, there are that's something that's uh, that's possible. I know that through some interesting research I read about. Okay. Um, you can project images onto the eye. And uh, so it can become a peripheral experience that you see it in, like if you, if you're, um, the idea that your peripheral vision is completely filled, that you are, as far as you're concerned, 360 degrees all around you, the world exists, that you honestly believe you're there, the brain will adapt. The brain will think it's it's physically on a roller coaster, nausea and all, and uh, or that you're doing something quiet, like just sitting somewhere reading a book. Um, I actually think that is far more exciting to me in terms of how we interact with the world than anything else, because then the reality, like physical limitations of what we can do as far as concerts are concerned, that's out the window. Right. We can then create whatever the hell we want. Oh, I mean, absolutely. then you can go and watch dragons fighting while <laughs> while a band sings or rides them or whatever else. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, that's, uh, that is so true. It's comical, but it's so true. Uh, this next question, entrepreneur and entertainment. Uh, authenticity is a key word, especially in this ever-growing landscape of music genre, particularly mainstream music. Define the importance of having your own voice, figuratively, of course, when it comes to creating a, a brand. Um, it depends on the product. It depends on the expression. Some people work great being mysterious and unreachable. Some people are more suited to being accessible and down to earth and uh, opinionated. I like to stay away from politics. I tend to, I, I think about the, just the general psyche of the day, not the individual players. The general psyche of the day interests me more than anything because that's the spirit of an age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will inspire what comes next. Um, there are some people who like to side with whether they have opinions about, I mean, I've, I've been expressing my opinions about humanity and technology here with you for the last, you know, good hour. So mm-hmm. um, it's important for context. Authenticity is that you do know what you're singing about or if you're creating something that you are, you're not just doing it arbitrarily, but you're doing it for a reason. But there's a, there was a soul need inside you. I think in our age of fake, and there is so much of it, and we know so much of it is fake. We know yes. people on Instagram have just manipulated an image or just staged an image in order to look like, oh my God, my life is amazing. And mm-hmm. my take on it is, no, you're an empty, shallow person and you right. hate yourself. Right. And <laughs> because... If you were truly satisfied with yourself, you wouldn't need to have this uh, uh, affirmation through the public and having to set up these wonderful images to make it look like you're this wonderful world traveler. Because I've done world travel. I've done, you know, I travel constantly. And the wonderful experience of travel is not like the Instagram image. Um, uh, If I see another person doing heart hands in front of a sunset, 
Uh-oh. I'm thinking that they're terribly deep. It's, yeah, you know exactly what I mean. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the garbage where people have like handwritten fonts over the top with some inspiring phrase, which means absolutely nothing. It's deep and meaningless. But the um, um, authenticity has, I think, become a, a, like almost like gold. It's it's like the um, the uh, the elixir of youth, the, the alchemist's uh, secret. Um, um, the, the 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 final elixir that we we're in search of because this is it's a rarer and rarer commodity and I found you know people come up and talk to me after a concert and what I'm not talking about myself and slapping myself on the back but you know me and I'll, I'll speak my mind and I'll be just have a chat with anybody and I've got no problem with it I'm, I don't hide myself away from people but mm-hmm. if um, Somebody comes and talks to me, and I start talking about my own personal experiences and explaining why the song is like this and da 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 da, da and you know whatever. And they're actually hearing this, and a lot of people are very taken back by that. Um, some people find it weird; they find it was that rehearsed, and I said, "No, we're just having a conversation. I love conversation. Talking right. is important." Um, because they don't find that authenticity anywhere else, and it's not about being authentic. Authentic, it's it's funny that we need to use the word authentic. I believe it's just that we only use it because the majority of things we know to be fake. Right. So we need to use the word authentic as the almost the exception rather than fake is the exception. Mm. Um, it's a very interesting it's a very interesting concept that we have to we have to put up with that most of our media is manipulated. It's there it's racing is oriented or our politics is racing is oriented and it's just really to to get people to cheer for somebody. Um, but to actually be able to interact with people and talk about a song that means a great deal to them, if it's an art piece, if it's a piece of visual art, to have an artist talk through their work so you get a sense for their intellectual level in creating the piece. That uh, Those things, I think, I don't even think they're important. I just think they're, they're obligatory. They're... they're uh, I meet bands obviously all the time, and I don't need to have musicians as friends. I don't necessarily, that's not, just because we have that in common does not mean we're going to be buddies. Um, intellectual prowess or whatever, they're, they're, they're interests. I mean, one of the guys who, who's on tour with me at the moment, he's an avid amateur physicist and absolutely wow. fascinated by physics. Wow. Um, Another guy is a, a champion jazz pianist, and he talks about music theory and, and goes through uh, the the, uh, the the mathematical side of music, the harmonic side of music, and he, he really gets very very deep into it. And then the soul and the the, the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Um, another person is just interested in football, you know. And it, everybody sort of has their own little their their element. But the thing that I really like about it is that they each have their passion, and each are as authentic as possible. Um, and yet I've met bands where I ask, who's this song about? And then, well, I just wrote the song and I went, well, okay, but you gave it a girl's name. Why? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, just, <laughs> it just sounded cool. I oh, thought God. just sounded cool is not an answer. Right. Um, I, I think if now if there was anything more needed, it's, it's, it's more honest expression, but I find that coming in, in the underground, we were getting back to the whole thing of, of bands and artists creating their own thing and putting it out. Exactly. It's not necessary for attention because it's not to create music and to create something that's really different and interesting is not easy. 
that comes from the soul, that comes from practice. It's not a crowd pleaser. You just have to, the only thing that will work is do your own thing. Do it with your heart and your soul in it. Make it your own, even if it's inspired by other people. Don't copy, but take inspiration. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. My right. music is not in, in, existing in and of itself. It's, it's a, another point in a long line of music evolution. But I'm mm -hmm. taking sounds I've heard, melodies I've heard, and, and feelings that I got from them and try to recreate those. Uh, it's a language. Um, and it's a very, very eloquent language. Um, and I, I, I just can't stand the, I can't deal with it. It's just beyond my, it's beyond my con conception when someone says, um, it's just a cool song. I'm like, okay, but does it feel good when you play it alone? And they go, yeah, well, there you go. That's at least we have that, you know, <laughs> at least there's that experience that you felt good making it. Uh, that's some honesty in there. Right. But, um, when you look at what major labels put out where they create fake personas, they create mm -hmm. the Adorus. People honestly believe that these people are operating their own Twitter accounts. It's just ridiculous. The entire thing is as fake as it gets. Right. It is a perfectly constructed, fictitious being. And um, fictitious personality, fictitious drama, fictitious arguments and social life and you know relationships and everything is just bought and created. It's it's it's, it's it's frightening as, as to how the level that those people operate uh, on. But um, authenticity comes from the grassroots. The authenticity and honesty will come from people who are just making something in their bedroom and thinking, I like this, I want to share this. Those people have always been wonderful. And then there have been a lot of people who have copied. We've always done it. They were always there, whether it was Picasso making a picture and other people said, oh, cubism, I'm going to do that, and just copied it. Mm -hmm. Um, at least you know with the original. The original is authentic, and you can see it in the work. Copy just doesn't have that because the copy is, just lacks the heart. Precisely, it's the emotional context. I totally agree. Um, and for for Noir, uh, tenth studio album, and uh, I, I think, in my opinion, uh, there seems to be no pause in your work schedule with concerts and studio sessions. Would there ever be a pause? I, I, the last studio album was 2013. I took a bit of a break from that for actually a reason. I would have probably motored on. Mm -hmm. So it was Providence that um, uh, I had to take a break. I was in a building where the foundations started to, uh, how do I put it, um, moisture or water in the, in the ground started to amass around the building because another building had been built next to it. Mm -hmm. and uh, it started seeping up through the walls. This uh, activated mold to oh. start growing in the building, which nobody could see, nobody could sense, and it was um, toxic. My mycotoxin level was uh, not even just dangerously high. Uh, when it was finally found, when they finally found out what was affecting me, I was, I was tired, I had like um, uh, brain fog, a lot of things going on that I was like, I inflammation swelling and my vocal cords were swollen my neck was swollen i felt sick all the time it was like i had an aching headache and i didn't know what the problem was uh when they finally found out what it was uh i was ordered to leave and i was told you're not even going back to the building like you will die uh your mycotoxin level is so high now we've gone through all the treatments for that and everything like that and then the next thing beyond that was resonance the orchestral album mm -hmm. 
I don't regard these as work schedules that, and I mean, there's a lot of touring in between that. There isn't really the feeling of three months even where I'm doing nothing. I'm constantly working on something, but I'm not killing myself. I mean, when I go into a nine-month schedule for an album, I know I'm going to be giving it my all, and I'll be working from seven in the morning until 11 at night. Okay. And uh, even if I'm at home, my brain is still on it. My brain is still thinking about things. And I give, I can't help it. I just get completely immersed in it. Um, I have three projects set up for next year. Um, they will be fantastic to work on. One is, uh, I will not talk about yet, but it is a gigantic, gigantic project. Ooh. And will take me further than things I've done before. I also want to work on remixes for the album because I, I enjoy them. I have fun with it. And I like keeping on working, but I always take breaks. But I haven't done a studio album since 2013. And I think it paid off in that doing Noir in 2018. Um, even though Residence was what, 2015. Um, and a lot of touring in between that. It's really paid off in that it allowed me time to focus, gather my energies, but do a, make a lot of changes in my life. Um, that really affected me a great deal. I started to meditate a lot more. Mm-hmm. I started to change my perspective on a great deal of things. I, I really moved a lot of poisonous people out of my life, people who I tolerated. And then in the end, I said, why am I even tolerating that when I can have somebody who's, you know, who's at least, I don't have to agree with them. I don't want yes people around me. Uh, but people who are uh, more harmonic to my disposition, I can create a, a nice and benevolent environment around me. Um, I don't have to work with people who are detrimental to my energies, so to speak, like whether it's just distracting or taking up energies or creating dramas that are unnecessary. So mm-hmm. I've made a lot of changes in my life. Um, I loved making the war, although it was in a very intense process. It was profoundly satisfying, profoundly rewarding. Um, touring doesn't feel like work. Sometimes it does. You know, you do four shows in a row and it feels like, oh, I really need a break. I have <laughs> right, a break right. today. Day off today, day off tomorrow. <laughs> but when I go back, I have, um, I'll be home on the 17th of December and I have until the end of January before I go off for another month tour. And after that, it's just a festival here and there. So to be honest, I will have breaks, and I'm going to take my break very seriously. I'm going to take my month and a half to myself, and it will be, um, I'll putter around the studio, I'll do some accounting, I'll have to do all that stuff for the end of the year, but I've worked nonstop since the beginning of this year mm. on the album, and I mean long, long days, and really keeping at it, and although it felt it was writing itself, and I wasn't struggling with it at all, it was this flow. I went from that straight on to tour, week and a half break, which was all preparation and logistics and constant phone calls, and then another month of tour in North America. Um, it can exhaust you very right. easily. And it's very important to make sure that you don't burn out. I ensure, very important to ensure that you, you stay mentally healthy. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to take a break for some sunshine over over New Year's, which is, <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> I want some hot, I want some hot weather and I want sunshine and lots of vitamin D. Um, it's going to be, I, I, I don't worry about my work, my work schedule. I know that I've got three major projects next year and they're going to be fun. They're going to be creative. 
they're going to be deeply rewarding. Um, but I do take my breaks. I do make sure that I get enough time for me. And I'm not just, you know, vegging on the couch time, but something, um, something with substance. Right, exactly. Um, I also, and I do a lot of vintage things. I'm really big in this, the other side of me that a lot of people know about, but, um, I have vintage cars and I have, like, I don't go in for this whole rock and roll, rockabilly, hot rod thing. I'm more into the, how do I put it, into the Foxtrot era. The sort of like the jazz era, so the, the 20s and 30s, and I'm involved in a ton of events that do this where everybody, tens of thousands of people show up all dressed to the nines from every corner of the world. It is brilliant. Um, I made friends from Thailand, Ghana, Japan, uh, people coming from everywhere wearing all these like clothes from another era and just living out there, they're just being happy. And everybody was like, you know, it was all very formal and very, very sweet and very polite and reliving the etiquette of a bygone age. And everyone's very good natured with each other and very, very polite and, um, and mutually supportive and helping one another. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. That's my hobby. That is complete. I, I, I got crazy about that stuff. So that sounds like uh, uh, what cosplayers do nowadays. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I suppose it is my cosplay. There's no kind of detective. Like, there's no cheesiness to it. There's none of this like people pretending they're you know a, a gumshoe detective out of the of a, a hard boiled novel in the '40s or something like that. Anything about that? It's about an era, an era of sophistication and an era of um, even though not everybody was able to live like that. It isn't about going back and reliving the snobbery. It's going back and Living all of the the beautiful, overly decorated, and also just the era of formality when people walked up and hands shook hands, and there's a lot of British people involved. So everyone's like, "How do you do?" And they talk even in old styles. It's it's phenomenal. But they're I've made some of the best friends in the world for it. And we have all our cars. We have our picnics. We do all that kind of crazy stuff, like going back and really, really, really living each other's kind of past and having the best fun with it. We just absolutely love it. And there are people who are executives of companies and people who are waiters and people who are mechanics and people who are working in call centers. And everybody participates and it doesn't matter what you do. Everybody's on the same level and there's people from all over the world at these things. And they're happening in North America, they're happening in Europe, all over, mainly in Britain. They also happen in Paris. They happen. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. The music we've got to hear all these incredible jazz bands, and um, it's just that's a holiday in itself. That's something I love, and I do road trips in America. I've got a a forty eight Chrysler oh, today, wow. and I've got a, a nineteen thirty eight Nash in Europe, and we just have tons of fun, like just experiencing, just living life is not a perception of how it used to be. I don't like that idea of um, that the, the bygone age was better. Right. Like there's some fictitious past that was wonderful. It's just there were jazz festivals or there were like, you know, there, there were things going on like at the time where people would go out to a big event and everybody would dance and everybody would just drink and be merry and have fun times. And um, I've seen that a lot in, in how people 
spent their spare time back in the 20s and 30s, no matter what their culture, their race, whatever, it doesn't matter what part of the world they live in. People in Shanghai pretty much which used to be known as the Paris of the East. Mm-hmm. Um, they would uh, spend their time doing the most wonderful things and they would go out and truly, genuinely enjoy themselves. So we're kind of honoring that, that spirit. But everybody is incredibly creative. And when the modern world creeps in and people have to check their phones or whatever else, people start talking. I've seen people make business deals, people who are incredibly creative people meet up and you introduce one to another and you say, you're working in the same field and they start interacting and having the most amazing time. And uh, funny how that works. Human interaction. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> it goes back to our, our, our earlier topic. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it all comes from, that's the thing about noir. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the album starts off, it, it starts with a million and it ends with all our sins. Mm. And there is a, um, there's a similarity. There is um, an intentional connection between both pieces, even though they are different. One starts off as a sinister, sort of almost threatening drone with this hard machine room beat. Mm-hmm. And All Our Sins does a very similar thing, but it's very orchestral, and it builds up very, very slowly and makes it very... It's, it's quite poignant about where we stand as a species, that we're really on the brink of our own extinction. It's not mm-hmm. about the modern age. It's not about any particular person. It's just a commentary on where we are now that we've gone through the journey. Now to stand and examine, right, where are we going? What are we doing now? We know all this. Mm-hmm. Um, the album is cyclical. In fact, there's a ton of, there's a lot of hidden references and there's a lot of hidden technique in the album. Um, I had the, the person who played the Nocturne, going back to that piece, uh, Shimon, who's my classical pianist, who plays on all of the um, uh, all of my classical concerts, all of the orchestral concerts, mm-hmm. and plays on the Resonance album. He was listening to it. He said, "This is really interesting. You've got this in four four time, but he said there are hidden rhythms within it." And I went, "Well, yeah," and that happens throughout the album. That there are, for example, layered competing patterns and cycles and loops that are happening either through series of tracks or um, within tracks themselves. There's this incredible amount of everything ties together. Mm-hmm. Everything is like a cyclical pattern that one goes through. And whether it's the album or whether it's individual tracks, everything is a microcosm of, of the, each is a microcosm of one of, of the other. Right. And, and also, uh, from my perspective, I seen the album art and I did sense this the symbolism there and I see a sense of duality with the use of neon lights and the title of the album itself is noir uh, so I get that duality yeah. there <laughs> I actually wanted it to look like a neon sign which was something that people would use to decorate you know it was the, when it was invented people use it for incredible artistic purposes mm-hmm. the amazing art installations with neon back in the 20s um but then everything would decorate itself with this neon. It would look just so much more elegant and so much more bright. But neon, even though it can seem somehow tempting mm-hmm. and somehow um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's wonderful, when you actually see it, it's a very cold and very um, lifeless light. It's, um, it, lacks, uh, uh, there's a, it, it lacks some kind of feeling. But when you see it from a distance, you see it, Decorating a street, it's a beautiful thing, but to actually see neon up close, it casts a very odd light on, on the rest, on other objects around it. 
and it makes everything look sort of greenish or grayish. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in places where the neon on the building top was reflecting on low-lying clouds, and the clouds had gone the same color as the, the neon on the roof of a building. And I mean, I've seen, I really went into the whole neon experience in the last year. Um, there is an incredible documentary, which I would love you to, to look up. I don't have the name right now, but it's a gentleman who's um, European, went to Hong Kong to make movies and ended up making um, action movies where he would use the neon of the city as the, as, as the unwritten cast member. And um, he would use the light of neon in all of the little alleyways, the little kind of like plazas and, um, you know, small little groups of shops or whatever as the lighting for his, his movies. And it cast this incredible light. His psychology and his, 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 his take on neon is, is fascinating. Mm. But going back to me, I wanted it to look like this elegant sign as you would have, say, on a nightclub or an establishment or something like that back in the time. But on the wall of a machine room in the basement of a disused factory. I wanted there to be an irony that you somehow, you would have a neon sign that's out of place. Um, that's, that's almost like trying to seem, hey, look, isn't this all bright and elegant and exciting in the most unspectacular un- un- places, the most barren of places. <laughs> it's almost like trying to shine a torch in a vast, vast darkness. As, as a matter of fact, I was considering getting the album just as a piece of artwork. That's it itself. <laughs> I actually have a version of the cover, um, which, uh, I mean, I love the artwork that was created on the inside. Mikhail Karsh did the most beautiful imagery for the inside of the album. Um, there's this uh, one picture of me wearing a, a 30s tuxedo standing in the middle of a pile of, like, carnage. And it's the most beautiful image. And he did an incredible series of black and white images for the album that are absolutely spectacular. Um, that really lent to adding to the ethos. Or even having the B&B logo in neon was, was fantastic. The person, Rada, who worked on the neon for the album, he had created a beautiful, beautiful piece. And, and then uh, my friend Michael Karsh did the, um, uh, did the wall for it, and he created this spectacular texture to give it just so much detail and grain and just organicness. And that's what I wanted, the sort of trying to make decay look somehow attractive, How, mm-hmm. you know, putting this lovely sign on it, this beautiful, like what we associate neon with. It's like, come on, it's exciting. Come on, come on in here. It's beautiful. And yet you have this decaying concrete wall behind it. And I want to put this out as, a, as an art print. Uh, we do, I, I do like limited edition prints. And I have uh, a wonderful printer in Hamburg that I can work with on this. And I really want to put this out as a, as a piece of art, but with a much larger wall. So you just, in the center of it, you have the sign and you see the room and you get a sense of, if you look long enough at the picture, you can start to see the details of what's around you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. And I've been practicing this Irish word. I hope I'm pronouncing it the right way. Slauncha. Uh, oh, slauncha kapra. <laughs> so you say good health and I say good health, beautiful good health back. Uh, there you go. Thank you very much. Or as we would say in, in Gaelic, God of which means uh, a thousand, may there be a thousand thanks to you.
Segment 2. Nostalgia. Our second interview is with recording artist Nostalgia and her story from the cliched rags to riches story is not so cliche this is a story that many many musicians artists filmmakers find themselves in in a predicament where they don't want to be in the nine to five worker bee mentality but instead want to pursue their dreams and creative and to explore and to flourish their creative endeavors. Here is an excerpt from Nostalgia's bio to give you, the listener, the audience, a glimpse on the evolution of Nostalgia from the bottom and climbing that ladder to top, fascinating, very inspiring. Just six years ago, California Iranian native Nostalgia found herself homeless in North San Fernando Valley. After breaking into a dingy piano room to sleep for the night, her life would change forever. At that time, the untrained siren didn't even know she could sing or play. But that piano in that room in that time would teach her everything she would need to know. Soon after, she met collaborator Roy Nan and they've released their first independent album, Chrysalis. Nostalgia is now releasing Imago, another album that features and showcases her artistics. Nostalgia explains these emotional contexts in our conversational interview and for those that aren't aware Nostalgia is featured on both John Wick films if you re-watch the film you would see the music well you see the performance and hear Nostalgia's music there and do pick up Imago and it really fascinates me and truly It's amazing to showcase and her story to you, the listener and the audience to really gather and say to yourself, yes, it is possible to reach the dream, but also don't dream too much. You have to grind and in order for you to succeed in whatever it is that you want to achieve in this life. Our topics in this conversational interview include her upcoming album Imago as well as advices for content creators and also building legacy and her opinion on being authentic especially as an entrepreneur and recording artist. Uh, once again thank you for your time for this interview and it's a pleasure to really delve into your career and your music. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, To kick off the interview, let's begin with your origin story. I read your bio provided by your PR rep, but I think listeners should really pay attention to how you emerged from homelessness to success. Tell us a little about about that. I was a bit rebellious, (laughs) and I 
really knew that I wanted to be an artist, but I didn't really know what that meant. And um, I ended up getting kicked out of my house at the time. And the only real place that I had to go, well, I, I suppose I had many places, but I was a bit stubborn too, and I didn't want to just end up on any friend's couches. So I ended up staying in the this tiny piano room on a college campus. I was I was trying to go to college and was really not that interested in any of it, any kind of scholastic learning. Just I had a real big aversion to it. But I was um, trying to go to college and I found these piano rooms and thought, wow, these are open all night long. I might as well stay here. And I, at the time, had no idea that music would be, I was a dancer for many, many years, but I didn't know music would ever be something that I would end up doing. <clears throat> so I stayed in one of these really tiny piano rooms and you know, because there was a piano in there, I started teaching myself how to play. And I began putting all of the words that I had always written. I was always a writer. All the poetry that I had always written. And I started putting it to music. And in that room, I really realized I might be able to sing. And I didn't really know that before, that moment. I knew I could sort of carry it but it was almost as though something much bigger was coming through me. And it became really clear that that was all I could do, at least during that time. That was what I had to do. And so I started writing songs, and they came really, really quickly to me. And soon after, I, I began looking for a music partner to work with, who is Roy Ganan, now the same person that I work with now that is amazing and one thing i'd like to do for this for interviews is really delve into the person behind the project whether it be film or in this circumstance music because listeners as listeners as audiences we don't get to connect personally and your story is so inspirational when i read it from the press release as Wow, uh, many would definitely benefit because there's so many artists, whether it be painters, musicians, film directors that are in the same predicament that you were several years ago. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad. I, I hope I can be an inspiration to some. With the landscape of music, uh, especially mainstream, uh, for example, we have teams of people that say what to wear, what lyrics to sing. What, in your personal opinion, defines being authentic? Well, I suppose authenticity is just being true to yourself. But the trick here is that a lot of people don't really know who they are beyond the layers that they're taught to believe in of themselves. So you have to really kind of have the tools to go deep within yourself. And I think some people... Um, They just have an innate inability to be anything but themselves. And others have to work a lot harder to find the core of themselves. So it really just depends on, on how many layers you've built upon your, your soul and your, your spirit. 
in my case, there were certainly pieces that I had to let go of and insecurities that I had to let go of to truly tap in to who I am and who I was. However, there was always a really, really um, very clear, defined purpose. And it was very obvious from a pretty young age that I was who I was. And I wasn't about to just simply wear those clothes because you tell me that I have to, or sing those things because you say that's what, what's going to sell, etc. So I have a pretty strong stance in who I am as an artist <clears throat> and who I am as a person. Absolutely. And especially with today's landscape where we have social media at our disposal Every content creator is basically a brand and they have to sell themselves appropriately to symbolize who they are as a brand, as a label of authenticity. Certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, being a musician, uh, especially an independent musician, also has its accompanied responsibilities, the daily grind, the daily hustle. Uh, what are your views on legacy, especially as an entrepreneur? and as an artist? I think it's very, very difficult for artists because they aren't supported in ways that I believe they could be. And so this idea that you stay as an independent artist requires that you're more than an artist. And I have to be more than an artist because I've stayed independent. And what that means to be more than an artist is you have to think in numerous different facets. You have to think as a, as a business person, as a businesswoman, you have to think, how am I going to uh, sustain myself? How am I going to get a team together for this music video? How am I going to, you know, et cetera. How am I going to get it, get on this tour, et cetera, you know? And we do have a team of people. However, a lot of it, when you don't have a label, does land on you. And, in this case, on me and my partner, Roy Ganan. So <clears throat> you have to be very, very, very strong and very clear on the fact that you, as a human being, your biggest goal is to stay true to yourself. And in, if that means for some people that they make their money in another way, then that's what they should do. And then they do music on the side. Now, that's an incredible amount of work, and that's a choice that you have to make. Or perhaps some of us, which I've been able to do so far, you figure out a way to make money from the music by growing your audience, and you're not going to be super rich. Maybe one day you will, but I'm certainly not rich at this point. <laughs> you know. But you do it because you absolutely have to do it. And you're not here to necessarily be famous. You're here because you have a very clear message and you're not going to allow anyone else to tell you what that message should be. And so that's where I stand. And for me, all the artists that I've truly loved, like E.J. Harvey or Nick Cave or Leonard Cohen, they seem very, very authentic and what they came here to do and that's what they do and that's what I'm here to do I'm here to do exactly what it is that I do best because nobody else can do that but me 
And so as soon as someone tries to pigeonhole you in something that they feel comfortable with, something that they've known before, they absolutely destroy you as an artist. And I'm not saying that that hasn't happened to me. That has happened to me a couple of times, and luckily I pulled out of it. But, you know, it's just beyond all the whispering words that you hear from the industry. If the loudest one is your own heart, that to me is a legacy artist. That to me is someone who's being true to their craft. Uh, that is very inspirational right there. And, it, and it's so true and it resonates. And I'm glad that we're in the stage right now that most of the decisions falls upon the indie artist. And I foresee that's going to rapidly change and the major labels are going to take notice of that soon. I definitely think so. I mean, a lot of the things that uh, we've known before are just kind of business models that don't work anymore. And it is changing. Music is now pretty much free. And people are trying to find alternative ways of being able to do what they do, do what it is that they love, without having someone breathe down their neck, without that producer. I mean, why not be your own producer? I'm not saying it's bad to have a producer, but if you're someone with a really, really strong vision, you you might be the only person that's going to truly be the visionary of your own art. So I think what's really wonderful is that there are outlets like Pledge Music or whatever other um, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, platform that you're on it really allows artists to work with the audience that they have and put out exactly what it is that they want to put out absolutely and jumping on to uh your work on both john hopefully a trilogy in my opinion but both john wick films how does your collaboration on this film projects help promote and elevate your standing as a recording artist? Well, it just broadened my audience and there's plenty of people that heard about me and saw me in the film that wouldn't have otherwise heard about me and seen me. So, you know, whenever you can take an opportunity like that, assuming that it's an opportunity that you want to partake in, then, you know, it's just it's just another way for you to reach more people. Uh, right, and that's one of the instances of being at the right place at the right time (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes i i happen to be at the right place at the right time other times not so much but every now and again (laughs) actually often often i've been at the right place at the right time and perhaps perhaps always and for for some for some aspiring artists or artists in general, they often wait so long for that the opportunity to happen. They say, "Well, I'm gonna vision this," and it's all part of the daily grind, and it, it falls on your lap when you least expect it. <laughs> part of manifestation, part of manifestation is is doing doing the work that's involved to get where it is that you want to go. Absolutely, and you mentioned crowdfunding. That's we gotta jump into this next question. With your upcoming album, Imago, you opted to using crowdfunding to fund uh, this album, getting it off the ground. Is this part of the philosophy? I read somewhere that you had mentioned of keeping your finger on the pulse. Is this part of that technique and your philosophy? Uh, 
<laughs> I don't remember when I said that, but I like that. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, it definitely could reflect that. I, for a long time, was was pretty against crowdfunding, and I had an aversion to it because I felt like it brought me too close and it made me feel too exposed. And then I realized, what are you trying to hide? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of artists, artists that seem very financially successful on the outside are really struggling on the inside. And once I got to tour with enough people and be around enough artists, I really realized, wow, a lot of these people that seem like they've got everything going on, they're just, they're they're just getting by. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, their audiences don't really know that. And these audiences are people that want to empower the artists they love. They want to be a part of their world and their universe. So why try to live in this constructed bubble and not reach out for, you know, for a partnership with your fans. Why do that? Well, perhaps you wouldn't do that because you want to still keep that ego afloat. And in reality, this, this comes down to humanity as a whole. We have to help each other. We have to be there for one another, whether it's an artist that you love or a person that's losing their home to a fire or someone that you see on the street that's struggling. Why wouldn't you want to reach out and why wouldn't you reach out your hand when you need it? And so I had a whole new perspective on this in that you're not a beggar when you're asking for something that is really just asking for collaboration and partnership and union with the fans that love you. Why go towards a business model that doesn't love you? That's really just trying to steal from you at the end of the day. Why go there instead of where there's love? It didn't make sense to me. I I wholeheartedly believe you go where there is love. Where there is no love, there's no way. And uh, with your soundscapes that you're presenting to your audiences, uh, what would they be expecting with your new album, Imago? It has a lot of cinematic moments and also a lot of really intimate moments. Whereas the first album kind of had a more cerebral, electronic feel. This one has a very um, emotive and sensitive and also in cinematically impactful feel. And I was just astounded at some of the, the orchestration that my partner Roy was able to come up with. And, you know, we work together on everything. We produce it together. We do the music together. Um, I write the lyrics and the vocals and sometimes come to him with songs or sometimes he comes to me with music and so it was really this this album we really got to have our hands on every little detail we mixed it we mastered it um, we produced it so it's it's definitely it's definitely uh, the next step in the evolution of, of chrysalis it, it makes sense that it's called a manga reading from the press kit uh, for Mago, you describe uh, the moth as a metaphor uh, for to adapt, to survive, and to live. Is this one of the philosophies also presented in Imago? And 
your upcoming uh, works that you'll be releasing? The albums are all under the umbrella of the concept of metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with, with what a chrysalis is? No, do enlighten me though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a chrysalis is the outer shell of a pupa. Um, it's like a cocoon. It is a cocoon. Mm -hmm. And so it's the hardened outer shell when a pupa is gestating before it's to be birthed into the world, right? So chrysalis had a more insular feel. It had a more controlled feeling to it. Amago is a fully winged insect in full bloom. So to me, it represents womanhood and kind of coming out of that chrysalis and really spreading my wings and being exactly what it is that I am. So they go together under that concept of metamorphosis. And metamorphosis is, it even ties into a greater landscape, a greater universe that I'm beginning to develop. Roy and I are starting a store called Gorgeous Creature, which is named after one of the songs. And on the side, I'm also a clairsentient folk herbalist and an aromatherapist. And I am a ritualist and a metamorphic guide. So that concept of metamorphosis is something that I've threaded through everything, all of my work as an artist, as a human being. Um, and I definitely can foresee that the next album will still tie in with with that legacy of work. Right. And that's an important message for every uh, content creator or artist out there is ne never stop uh, changing. Uh, always keep in that metamorphosis state uh, because once you stop, there's really nowhere else to go and it defeats the purpose and why you're doing what you love in the first place. <laughs> Right. People actually, they fear the concept of change. and They don't really have a choice. You know, even when you think that someone hasn't changed, they're constantly changing. You know, they're constantly in motion. They're constantly transforming. Now, when you shed light on that transformation and you do it consciously instead of subconsciously, that's when you can really bloom into what it is you're meant to be. So, you know, that's what it means to me when I say metamorphosis. It's the conscious choosing of transformation. Thank you for that. And just a couple of questions left to close out our interview. The first one, a question from one of the audiences asked across social media if anyone had a question for you. So this question is from Twitter from Adana Misi, at Adana Misi, and she asked, well, she asked many questions. I'm picking one. Uh, why did it take so long for Crystalis to release new stuff? Would you ask that of a pupa? <laughs> why it stayed so long in its cocoon? You know, life um, is interesting in that even if you are pushing and prodding for something to be birthed, sometimes it's just not going to happen. And for me, as an artist, Putting out a record has to be right. Everything has to be aligned. I have to put out something that's truly, truly authentic. And so it took me time to get beyond the whispered words and truly remember what it was that I wanted to say 
for that sophomore album. So it took me time because I'm a genuine artist and I'm not <laughs> um, someone that you can be suffocated into production. Mm-hmm. I'm someone that has to be given the space to really bloom. Right. Uh, totally understandable. As a matter of fact, a side note, I follow one of my personal favorite artists, Daniel Graves, and the time constraints, he looks at his calendar, he axes it out every day. He's like, wow, that must be some pressure to really dish out material. But you cannot really do that on a subconscious level as an artist. So that's really the conflict as the dishing out something as a musician and really expressing your inner self. Yeah, and it's not that I can't force myself to write songs. I actually wrote many, many songs some with different producers and and, uh, and it, it took me a while until I found with Roy what was really right, what was really authentic, what felt good to be put out. So it just took time to hone in on what it was that I wanted to say. Right, thank you. And the this is an open platform. Uh, please do share uh, your any information, including social media handles, whatever you wish to share on your upcoming album, uh, Imago. Uh, will be released on December seventh. If you want to find Nostalgia, you can find me on Instagram by looking up Nostalgia Music. It's spelled N O S T A L. G-H-I-A. Same thing for Twitter. And then on Facebook, I think you just search Nostalgia. Our website is nostalgiamusic.com. And very soon, in the next month, we're going to be launching a brand new store called Gorgeous Creature on there that's going to have all kinds of really beautiful altar pieces and sacred stone jewelry. All of these things are handmade that kind of go with the concept of metamorphosis, um, flower essences, and herbs, and all kinds of cool things. So if you're interested in that, take a look at the website, and all the music will be launched very soon. Great. Congratulations on that. Thank you for that information. And also, uh, you mentioned herbs and crystals. Uh, I think that's one aspect in this modern day and age where people are not in tune with with nature and and their chi and and really inner peace as a whole. I think there's people that are leading the way, and then there's a lot of people that just haven't quite tapped into that yet. I think once it becomes an absolute necessity, which it will, and they realize that they can't be disconnected from nature because nature is a part of their being and nature is what we go back to when we die. So the resistance to nature is really the resistance to our own demise. And though I understand that, when you spend a lifetime disconnected from it, you fear your own death. Mm. When you reconnect with nature, you kind of start to lose that fear because you realize that you were a part of it all along and it's just another step in your journey. Mm. Wow. Very profound. I, I like that. And it's too early, of course, because you have your upcoming album uh, in the horizon, Imago. But any other projects, any other collaborations that you can share that is on the horizon for you? Musically speaking? Musically, uh, videos or 
everybody's asking for John Wick 3, so let's see what that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, as far as videos, we just launched a video called Kingdom of Disturb. Uh, That was launched on Billboard, and I think you can find that on YouTube now. Um, And yeah, we plan on doing a couple more videos for sure for the album. But after this album comes out, I'm probably going to take a little bit of a rest because (laughs) we worked for three straight months nonstop. And I have a show coming up on the 6th and launching the store. It's all been a great deal of work. So I'm probably going to go back into my cocoon for a little bit. (laughs) And then on um, Valentine's Day, we have a little treat for everybody that we're going to be putting something special out. And, you know, after that, um, we're definitely going to be feeding our audience with more songs, whether that be singles or, or um, EPs. We have a ton of music that hasn't been released, and we plan on releasing that music. Great. Looking forward to that. Um, and, and also, uh, I, I see with, with platforms such as SoundCloud and, f- of course, Facebook and Spotify, do you feel that dishing out music uh let's say weekly rough cuts is a good course for upcoming musicians i personally absolutely love it because i am i've always been a very in the moment kind of artist i'm really excited about what i write in the moment that i write it and then after a while i begin to hate it So it's for me, being able to put things out in the moment when I'm absolutely in love with it, that's what I love the best. And I've actually done that with my cell phone recordings because the way that I write is I'll sit at my piano or a guitar or whatever, synthesizer, whatever it is, and I have my phone there and I just record it into my phone, what I'm writing in the moment. And so I've actually released a lot of that. I just released a cover of Love Song from The Cure that I I had recorded on my phone. And uh, I think the rough uncut sometimes, I cannot seem to capture the magic that happens in that rough cut in a proper recording. There's just something so special about that. And if you're the kind of artist that can do that, you should. I mean, there's a lot of artists or some artists that can't and they don't really sound that good. They have to be in that proper like studio space to really hone in on their craft. And then there's other artists that sound really good in that rough way. So. It just depends on what you are and what you're not. Oh, right. yeah, that's so true. And great choice, by the way. Yeah, the, the Cure. I grew up on that and the, on their music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love The Cure. I can't get enough of that song. So I've been playing it for a long time. Right. Yeah. For for me, it was The Cure, Depeche Mode, and uh, uh, Erasure. Oh, yeah. uh, those were the times. I'm getting nostalgic. (laughs) (laughs) There's still the time. There's still the time. That's the thing about them is they're still amazing. Yes, yes, that is so true. Yeah, and they they talk about legacy. Exactly right. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Thank you so much for this interview and for all the inspiring words that you have provided. Uh, Congratulations on your upcoming album, Imago. And all the best to you. Many blessings. Oh, thank you so much. I can tell that you really care about art and music, and it's it's very, very present in your voice. So I, I appreciate it. I had a great time.
segment two. Closing out our segment, our exclusive interview segment, is a pre-recorded interview, conversational interview that I had earlier this year with Aya Toya, Chicago-based electronic industrial recording artist. Once again, what we showcase here, much like previous exclusive interview, is the theme of pursuing your dream in whatever creative medium it may be, whether it's filmmaking, musician, artist, painter, so on, etc., etc. I'm going to read the bio for Ayatoya just to give you, the listener, a glimpse of actually pursuing your dream and embarking on creative endeavors. Ayatoya is of Polish descent. She came to the U.S. from Poland as a young adult, building her life from square one and withstanding multiple challenges and struggles, trying to establish her identity in the unknown. She gained musical experience while working with various bands and being the part of many projects of different genres. She then noticed that the biggest problem in bands is to stay on the same page when it comes to the passion and commitment. Projects kept breaking up. Time kept passing by and she finally decided to disrupt the pattern and do something different. One Girl Show and the album that would be self-written and self-produced from scratch to finish. The album referred to in the bio is Mirrors Don't Lie and also they are three debuting singles off of the album titled Cold Blue Farewell and Glass. Ayatoya has embarked on tours within Chicago and of course she's going to be preparing herself for touring across the Midwest hopefully landing here in New York City pretty soon in any event tune in listen and take notes for Ayatoya's personal experience as a musician we cover a varied amount of topics Without further ado, here is my conversational interview with Aya Toya. Thank you. <clears throat> and I just finished listening to, to your single, and I have to say it is a blend of so many uh, instruments that, that come together so perfectly and it's it's a sound that is so unique uh please describe this uh, single that you have uh farewell mirrors don't lie and we'll start with that mm-hmm. awesome thank you first of all thank you so much uh, for such positive feedback on that song uh, it's actually the first time i'm working on music on my own 
uh, producing it at home and so that's great that you like it uh, i've been learning as i've been making that uh, single and all that album that is coming out and uh, the uh, sound uh, that you described you know it comes from uh, many influences and also um me just you know um sort of starting with uh, either lyrics or just one melody just adding the layers you want to you know paints when mirrors don't lie it's uh, very very meaningful it's about us realizing uh, how temporary our life is. And, you know, it's uh, also that moment when you look in a mirror and you realize many, many things just to yourself. So it's a very personal song and uh, at the same time, very dark song. Um, it also talks about uh, dealing with uh, PTSD after a very close person's suicide. So it's a lot of darkness and you probably can sense it. I mean, I hope you can sense it in the music itself. Um, I tried to make it so that the meaning is really there. Thank you for that explanation. And yes, I did get that vibe. And both from the sound and also from, I'm looking at the artwork, which appears to be a mirrored image and is shattered and that also alludes to the psychological um, explanation that you are explaining in the lyrics itself so everything is just so cohesive awesome and you state that um, uh, this is your you're embarking on your journey in music creating music uh, what is your musical background so I've started uh, I really actually can't remember when I started I've been told that I started when I was a very young child <laughs> singing and uh, just you know grooving to the music that would be playing as I was growing up uh, I started when I was five my big sister she had a guitar and she uh, played it and sang and wrote some songs and I just picked it up and started learning on my own. It was a giant guitar and I was really tiny, <laughs> but I managed to learn a couple basic chords and started playing and then making my own songs. <laughs> uh, when, we, when it comes to a more professional journey, um, it is a bit tougher. I've been, you know, raised in Poland. So my adventure with States started when I came here and I... I had to first secure my life here. So it took me a couple of years, uh, you know, um, to to be safe, to be established here. And then I started writing music. And uh, I joined metal bands. I joined uh, punk rock bands, some jazz bands. I've been in a lot of different musical projects. And uh, about two years ago, I put Ayatoya together with the band. But then I figured that um, it's very hard, you know, to keep the band together. Uh, people have different uh, commitments. They have different levels of passions. And uh, my level of passion is very strong. So if I commit to something like that, I want to build it. I want to give it all into this. And I've decided to go on Ayatoya journey on my own 
because I've been struggling with trying to keep people on the same page. And, you know, everyone has different ideas of uh, what they want to do with their life. I know that I want to do this. And uh, I'm currently here and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, that's, that is a great perspective. And I totally agree. Whenever you embark or any artist embarks on a journey to expand creativity to the world, you have to go 1000%. And it, it's a great way that you, that you went solo in order to push your ideas um, more quickly. Uh, when you have band members, it's so true that there is so many conflicts with the schedule. Starting out with Ayatoya, uh, what were some of the obstacles that you have found and do you have overcome and you could say, yes, I have overcome this obstacle and here I am continuing my journey? So the first big one would be the, you know, um, the band breaking up because of mm. lack of, uh, you know, um, the same levels of passion. That was a big one because I've been prepping uh, that thing um, for a while and I've been working very hard and that left me uh, crushed for one day because then I figured I'm just going to do it anyways. And that was the very, very big thing. I mean, to me, it is um, a huge discovery uh, about myself, about my own attitude, about my strengths, because instead of giving up or getting into, you know, chaos, I picked up the next day and uh, I bought the program. I started learning uh, how to do things on my own. And a couple of months later, I've been up and running and starting to record. So um, I still struggle a lot with multiple things. It's, you know, the beginning. It is something new. I have not been in the electronic genre before. So it is basically, you know, step-by-step, step, um, slow learning, uh, making uh, acquaintances. Uh, I'm loving it. I can say, but sometimes it's hard. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just um, continuously working on it and not giving up. <laughs> so I think that's a big thing. It's a journey. And, uh, uh, yeah, writing that album, completing it was definitely a huge thing. I, at the moment I realized it's done, I sent it to mixing and mastering to uh, one of my great friends, Brad Pack, who helped me mix and master this record. And the moment I realized it's done, it was like, wow. I mean, people told me it's mission impossible and I've done it. So that was a big obstacle. Next one that I'm working on is one girl show. I want to play by myself, all that music. So it is very challenging. I've been working on it since February. And it's still not there, but it's almost there. Like, I plan to have a show on November, in the beginning of November, to promote that record and then start playing live after that uh, more frequently. But it's a challenge. It's another uh, big thing. And I'm enjoying it again. And again, I've heard it's Mission Impossible. You can't do it. It's how are you going to do this? I'm not giving up. I'm working on it. And it's coming together very well, surprisingly to me. Well, uh, our interview is not over, but I have to say uh, all the best because I do enjoy uh, hearing uh, comments such as this in which the artist 
is just moving straight forward, breaking obstacles and just completing missions despite the mission impossible statement. And that's very inspiring. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And what, what are the personal aspects of the industrial electronic, dark electronic genre is the the female lead singer or the female vocalist, female composer. There there are quite many, and most are pioneers in this genre. Uh, with your contributions now, uh, in the future, we're talking next five years. Uh, how do you s- find yourself in this pool of talented women? Well, I'm definitely uh, you know uh, excited. I see so much talent and so much amazing uh, creation and creativity out there. I'm only very humble to even be considered to, you know, uh, go and be part of that. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, I'm taking small steps. Again, I sort of have a vision, but again, I have to take smaller steps and uh, just get there. Um, definitely want to play and tour. Uh, with my music, definitely would be very happy to collaborate uh, on uh, future sounds that I would be making. I also noticed that uh, in Chicago, the industrial scene is picking up. I am from Chicago, and currently I live in Chicago. And the industrial scene here is just amazing. There is a lot of women doing similar things that I do. It is slightly different because everyone has their own sounds, but uh, I've noticed it is just such beautiful, beautiful, loving atmosphere. It is very welcoming. I don't feel alone, even though I just started. It is a great community, very strong, and I'm just very happy that I'm starting it. I feel awesome. Oh, great. That's, that sounds, sounds wonderful. And once again, the small steps are very important, especially when... Uh, independent artists such as yourself are just diving in Uh, being an independent artist you have to blend the business side as well as the creativity side Uh, for those who want to jump into becoming a musician an independent musician uh, what are some of the little um, details that they should pay attention to Oh, goodness, that's a good one, <laughs> because there is endless amounts of these details. To be mm-hmm. honest, I am constantly discovering them, constantly catching myself on something that I'm like, I wish I knew, mm-hmm. or oh, I wish I've done this. So it is, a again, step-by-step process. Um, I would say be very focused and be very organized. Um I am an artist and very creative person, but I also like to be organized. So I have all these calendars. There is calendar in my phone. There is calendar in my computer. There are calendars all over my place. I just ordered one that is a four-month calendar uh, that I can put on the wall and just sort of oversee the plan because it's very difficult and it's easy to get lost when you have to do everything on your own. So it's like show date you know, book that show, uh, make your merch. I'm making my own merch. I'm making my own T-shirts. So I have to figure out the timeline for all this, you know, album pressing, uh, then, you know, some uh, thing that we do right now. (laughs) You know, uh, it's endless. 
it's endless. It, uh, it's very important to be organized. I would say that is number one. Know what you want to do and plan it ahead. Don't plan it a week before. Plan it months in advance. It's very important. And then tweak as you go and I guess learn from your mistakes and apply it to the future. That is so true. And I definitely associate with that comment because I have calendars everywhere. It is so easy <laughs> to get lost. When you wake up 5.30 in the morning and before you know it, it's 10 p.m. and you wonder where the time yeah. goes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad that I'm not alone <laughs> with this. <laughs> It's it's all part yeah. of the uh, it's all part of the creative uh, creative endeavors. <laughs> That's true, and it's uh, you know you don't know when inspiration will come to do more. I find myself I don't sleep enough ever. People wonder how you never sleep, but I don't have time. I'm trying to because I have to be healthy, but at the same time I find myself at 4 a.m. in the morning when it was just 10 p.m. And I don't know where the time went. I've been doing things, working on stuff, and I'm, oh, I think I should go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> sleep is irrelevant. It's just out the window. There's no time for sleep. There's so many things to do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with your new album, Cold Blue, it's going to be releasing in October. Uh, some of the sounds, uh, I have a description here, and it delves into love, sanity, values, freedom. And these are the many things that industrial and electronic, dark electronic music has been broadcasting for years in comparison to mainstream. Uh, what are some of the songs that listeners would be looking forward to? Oh, goodness. I'm hoping that all of them, and uh, I, the album is very eclectic. It is industrial, electronic, dark album, but each song has its own thing, and uh, you will actually see it. I am about to release uh, some more music before the main album comes out. Uh, the new song that is coming out next uh, on September 28th, I believe, uh, the very end, the very last Friday of September. It is called Glass Ice, and it is different than two previous songs that I've released. Um, there is Funeral for Love that I previously released, and I'm going to put it on Spotify in two weeks. So I know many people have not heard that song as well. Um, the whole album will be 10 songs, and each of them has its own story. Uh, I think people will definitely like Rebel. It is a very self-reflective song, I'm a Rebel. And for those who know me, they will figure the moment they listen. For those who don't know me, I hope they find a part of themselves in that song. It is, um, again, very personal story. But at the same time, I hope it reflects on others and uh, opens up that little thing in them, making them feel, oh, it's about me. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope to do that with this song. Flashback might be the one that a lot of people enjoy. It's a very dark song, and it's a piano-based song. So uh, piano instrumentals are to sort of put more emphasis on the darkness and uh, fear that that song exudes 
um, other stuff uh, that will be there. Velvet Sky is definitely a very different song. It's uh, dark. It's more electronic than other ones, even more electronic. It's sort of crazy. I used some crazy uh, effects on voices in that song. So I'm excited to see what people will say about that song. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope that people will enjoy this album. <laughs> cool. And and as I had mentioned in the the top of this interview, uh, the, the the song <clears throat> uh, "Fairer Mirrors Don't Lie" it just has a blend of so many instruments, and I I personally appreciate when when songs or albums have pianos, guitar, just a different a slate of instruments, and not just focus on electronic. Yes, and also I because I've been new to you know this genre i had to use what i had as my mm -hmm. skills and uh, i did i blended what i could i gave what i had into this album so it is definitely a blend of different instrumentation and um, that's why i think it might be a little bit uh, different i hope i hope that it will be to people <laughs> Mm, we'll see. <laughs> it would be different. It would. It, it different in a very good way. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And also, with, with social media, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, and of course, SoundCloud for musicians. And now we have everything accessible for the musician. And uh, one, one question I, I like to ask my interviewees is the level of collaboration or releasing songs let's say on a weekly basis or a daily basis as an independent musician do you find that to be a beneficial for you hmm i to be honest i am sort of um and it's weird to admit it should be a secret but i'm not gonna make it a secret i'm sort <laughs> of perfectionist in my um, own way which i know i am very far from perfect but uh, at some point i need to know that i've done enough to be able to share it. So if I write a song, I will tweak it. I will spend time on it before releasing it. And uh, when I release it, it will probably be sort of it. I will probably not be doing much more to it. Um, I used to be an uh, amazing punk rock, punk rock jazz band. And I've worked with these guys for a while. And they've been amazingly talented. Their name was Johnny Comes Late. And uh, I've noticed that they've struggled with releasing music. They've been tweaking, perfecting, tweaking, perfecting, and they never released it um, on time. Years passed, and they never released their music. And uh, so I'm sort of in between. I tell myself when to stop and just release it, but I do not uh, release stuff that is just ideas, you know, uh, on a weekly basis. I sort of make it, it and then plan when to release it. So it's a little different approach. But I've seen a lot of artists uh, do it. A lot of artists uh, draft stuff and then they uh, share with the world. And I'm just worried about, um, you know, creative process because there is endless ideas and uh, people have endless visions. So the moment you release it and ask for, you know, feedback and you want to continue working on your stuff after that I feel it might distort your vision mm. and make it different and then you lose your own voice in it so I don't know 
<laughs> oh, that's an interesting perspective. I haven't seen it that way. And and it's true. Uh, most I, I would say all artists have that perfectionist level. That even even if the artwork, the music is nice, they it still needs more. These more, so that goes across oh, the yeah. board. <laughs> it could be forever. It is a it is a thing. It really is. You have to literally stop yourself. Tell yourself, okay, that's enough. It is what it is. Let's move on. Because otherwise, you can spend lifetime on trying to perfect the thing no one will ever hear and that would be a sad story yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that is that is absolutely true and especially when it comes to music it, it, it's it's lucky thing right now we're the, we have technology to help us more faster it's not like the 70s or 80s that we had to do everything manual <laughs> That's true, exactly. I think technology, embracing technology is a huge part of uh, music business, of music creation these days. It's beautiful that we have that opportunity to, you know, get things done the way we do now. And I appreciate it especially because uh, back in Poland when I was growing up, we really did not have access to any of the stuff that is here in States right now. It is crazy. To me, it's like additional... Uh, wow effect because kids growing up in Poland and kids growing up here they they have different reality maybe today from maybe last five years it's been changing and it's been more even but before it's 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 been tough so yeah <laughs> absolutely and even for live performances most of the software that you use in the studio, you could transfer it onto a laptop and take it on stage and it will make the performances much more easier as well. Yes, that's true. I mean, it depends on how you do it and what you do. But yeah, you can, you can, for example, record stuff live and then tweak it in the studio, which is amazing. And then you have a live recording. So that definitely helps. Uh, you're taking small steps now, of course, but... Oh, in the top of your head, who would you would like to collaborate on on a song or on an album? Oh my! Well, <laughs> there is so many artists uh, that are amazing and huge. So I would start small. I would. I really want to do some collabs in our local Chicago uh, world first. Uh, there is an amazing band called Trauma Bond that I really enjoy, and these are sweethearts, amazing guys. I definitely want to collaborate with these guys. Mm, then there is a Echo House, which is another uh, Chicago local artist, absolutely amazing, talented person that I'm looking forward to hopefully collaborate in the future. And uh, Lorelei Dreaming, another great band, uh, also industrial, electronic, dark wave kind of thing. I mean, I could go crazy and say, you know, oh, it would be awesome to collaborate with Trent Reznor on something or, you know, <laughs> Nine Inch Nails. But it is, uh, they are huge. And uh, the truth is it's uh, very far away. So small steps. I really want to collaborate on the local level and make amazing independent music. Right. Also, for independent musicians, uh, I find that it is so important to collaborate even f with music outside the genre uh, with the, the diverse 
um, background that you have described, you have played in punk and jazz. It, it's also great to collaborate with different artists and different genres because you never know. Uh, we have seen rock and roll with hip hop and all of a sudden it just goes across the board and targets different audiences. Exactly, I agree. I definitely am so excited because I am inspired by many different artists and coming from all the genres that are out there. So uh, I'm thinking that this will be very interesting because in the future, uh, I'm very open for all these ideas. I'm not locked in just electronic, industrial, especially that I'm new to it. So hopefully, hopefully the collaborations that will occur in the future will bring some new to the music and uh, would be amazing because I hear many people say that music is exhausted, that there is no new music. I don't agree with this. I think there is endless potential for mm -hmm. music. You just need to think with open mind. Uh, yes, yes. You have to... Uh, personally, I find mainstream, it's, it's not as inspiring as it should be but for industrial underground uh, electronic music uh, there's so much creativity and there's so many artists uh, putting new stuff that it's continually evolving throughout the years exactly and it's crazy you know mainstream has its own way of uh, being uh, put out there it is uh, you know um, sort of controlled by um, bigger companies. So they wanted the sound to be the way it is because that's what sells to the crowd. But uh, as you mentioned, the level of creativity that is happening, uh, you know, under in the underworld is mind-blowing. It's so beautiful. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Concluding our interview, two final questions. Uh, one question would be, uh, plugging your social media, where uh, pe people could find you, your upcoming album, anything you care to add? So people can find me all over the place. Uh, I actually have a website. It is uh, ayatoya.com. Um, I'm on Spotify. I'm on uh, Google Music. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Reverb Nation, Bandcamp. Mm, all over the place, really. So just type in Ayatoya, I-Y-A-T-O-I-A-H, and you will find me. Great, thank you. And the final question, uh, more as a motivational type of, of question uh, for artists out there, musicians who find themselves... <laughs> They don't have the funds or they don't have the, the right equipment to buy. They don't have a studio, but they have the vision. What do you say to these upcoming artists, especially females who, as I mentioned, are such a, a pillar in the industrial music scene? Well, I could say exactly like I did. I mean, have two full-time jobs, make money, put aside, leave Poorly, <laughs> right? To save up, and then you know, uh, just start slowly. I did not get an expensive program. I got a very affordable program to start. I could get 
I could have gotten a program that is 10 times more expensive, but I started with a very, uh, you know, uh, simple and non-expensive logic pen, and uh, I'm really loving it. I think I will continue working in that. So, you know, oversee what you can do, plan ahead, and don't be afraid of the big word because there are people that will help you, you know, uh, start collaborating, do crowdfunding, uh, you know, this little thing called social media is actually very powerful. So I'm myself thinking about maybe crowdfunding um, some stuff uh, and getting help from my audience and my fans. Mm, I think that's a great idea to go and uh, yeah, just don't give up. Just keep that vision and keep pushing because it will happen. But you have to push. You have to not lose that faith, that, you know, passion in you. And uh, it will happen. It's a hard work, you know, but uh, it's beautiful work. It's everything. Yes, that is the statement of the year. It is definitely beautiful work and you have to work hard. And uh, one thing that you mentioned, the crowdfunding, uh, that is an area most, it's 50-50 with artists. Some say they like, some say they don't like because they don't want to ask money. I find that's the best way for audiences to help uh, the musician, the artist push the creativity more quickly. Yes, it's true. I have not tried it. I'm, you know, afraid. (laughs) (laughs) But I've heard people say, you can't be afraid to ask for help. You need to ask for help. And uh, me as an independent girl, you know, trying to stay strong in this crazy, crazy world, I'm asking myself the exact same question that you just mentioned. Uh, Where, uh, you know, where is that balance where you ask and where should not ask i don't know it's very confusing but at some point i mean i can't do it all um, on my own i need help right you know others and uh yeah it's been in my mind for a while and i'm really really brainstorming this idea so we'll we'll see (laughs) (laughs) well well, it's a it's a great idea, and we just started crowdfunding, and it, I had the same decision to do I don't do it, do it. Why should I ask? Well, there's so many benefits with crowdfunding, and as, as I mentioned, it pushes the creativity forward. You have a connection with the audience, and if you do, hey, best of luck. I, I know uh, you'll get uh, tons of assistance. <laughs> Oh my goodness, thank you. Thank you, Ken. Now I can't not do it. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you once again, Ania, for your time, for this interview, for all your responses. And as I mentioned throughout the interview, uh, best of luck uh, on your future projects. Thank you so much for having me. Good luck with your amazing podcast and uh, have a beautiful day. Thank you for tuning in to DK Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast Season 9, Episode 6. This special edition of our podcast featuring music and exclusive interviews of musicians in the field within electronic and independent music sector. 
You could find DK Mag across all social media platforms, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under DK Mag at DK Mag. We're not DK Magazine. Uh, it makes me chuckle when I see that uh, mistake time and time again. We're not DK Magazine. We're DK Mag. We're not the word DK or the letter DK because we are not a fashion label. We're not Donna Karen. DK Mag. Also, find DK Mag podcast on Google Music Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Of course, we have the audio accompaniment of this program on YouTube for those of you who use YouTube as a podcasting source. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time.